just packed up his stuff and was leaving the building. He had lost the most precious thing. Man, do you have anything to say? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Sean, I know that you want me. What? He does. He wants every woman. Go after a steak if it had a skirt on. Mrs. Smith, with all due respect. Oh, that's about as sincere as flowers from Bard shot. Please do not flatter yourself. I could could never ever see working for uh, another organization because I think it would be a step down. And uh, you know, as I understand, there's certain uh, wrestling organizations that th- seem to be throwing a lot of money around. Uh, but I'd like to make it very well understood that that I'm not somebody that's greedy for money. I'm always uh, I'm, I'm a person that's greedy for respect. And uh, the only place I'm ever going to get respect is in the World Wrestling Federation. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to April of 1996 for Volume 1 of this month's show. Volume 2 is your WCW show looking at, well there's no pay-per-view to look at, we're just looking at the four episodes of Nitro from the month. Volume 3 is ECW, we're here for Volume 1. I'm being joined firstly by Dan Welling. Dan, hello. How are you, Bob? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, and Rory McNamara. Howdy, guys. Uh, Rory kicks off with the news. I shall. Bret Hart's medium-term future is up in the air as he begins an indefinite hiatus from wrestling to pursue the latest stage in his acting career. One segment that aired on TV, shot immediately after WrestleMania, showed Bret telling a cameraman, I'm just going to fuck off for a while. Later, in an interview shot in Germany, Bret talked surprisingly freely about interest from certain wrestling organisations that seem to be throwing money around. Bret is still expected to return, with plans slating him to face Shawn Michaels in a rematch at SummerSlam, but Brett has set no date when he wants to come back. Shawn Michaels completed his first successful WWF title defence by beating Diesel in the main event of In Your House 7. Despite the show being the final pay-per-views for both Diesel and Razor Ramon, both were given strong outings even in losing causes, as Razor lost clean to Vader earlier in the evening. Elsewhere, there were wins for the team of Owen Hart and the British Bulldog, and the Body Donners retained their tag team titles. The show also featured a seven-minute match between Goldust and the Ultimate Warrior. Well, we'll say match, and we'll discuss that later. Raw on April 8th drew a massive 4.7 TV rating, partially thanks to Nitro not airing that night, but one that also sees it beat any previous ratings record by nearly a full ratings point. The previous highs were two 3.9 ratings recorded in the months following WrestleMania last year, specifically shows headlined by Bam Bam Bigelow vs. Diesel and The Undertaker vs. Jeff Jarrett. While the high comes in a brief break in the Monday night ratings battle, it should be restated that the previous records occurred before the debut of the first Nitro show. 
This show featured the first TV appearance of, appearance of the Ultimate Warrior, along with arguably one of the best shows Raw has put on in months. Lots of Ultimate Warrior news coming out of WrestleMania. Firstly, it's said that Ohi only made himself available to discuss his match with Hunter Hearst Helmsley after Vince McMahon had gone to ringside. It's said that Warrior laid out the match how he wanted it to go, and despite protestations from Jerry Briscoe, Warrior is alleged to have said, Do it my way or I'll walk. This is my chance to get over. It's said that Warrior will largely get away with it due to the overwhelming fan reaction for him at the show. The perception being that he holds all the cards. As an aside, there was an advert in this month's WWF magazine about Warrior. At one point it read, No more hoaxes, no more pathetic imitations. Hang up your boots, renegade, and find a gym. Diesel and Razor Ramon will have their final show together at a Madison Square Garden house show on May the 19th. By that timeline, they would miss the next In Your House pay-per-view. It's said that on the company's 17-day tour of Germany, those two were the people most flagrantly breaking company rules, although Heat was also present on other people within the group, namely Shawn Michaels and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. It's said there was more than one person who wanted to deck Michaels, but had to be talked out of it due to Michaels' position at the top of the company. Cactus Jack, now known as Mankind, formally debuted on TV this month, starting a program of The Undertaker and debuting a new nerve hold where he applies pressure under his opponent's tongue. The WWF is also reporting a 1.7 buy rate for WrestleMania, which would equate to around 430,000 buys. Industry figures estimate a 1.2 buy rate, around 300,000 buys. And finally, at the very end of March, the Kinetic Post ran a front-page feature on gay rights groups' reactions to the Goldust character. In short, they don't like it. And for the ratings news for the month, on April the 1st, the night after WrestleMania, Raw drew a 2.9 against Nitro's 2.8. On April the 8th, with no Nitro airing, Raw drew a massive 4.7 rating, as we mentioned earlier, including the return of the Ultimate Warrior. April the 15th, Raw drew a 3.1 to Nitro's 2.8. April the 22nd, Raw drew a 3.3 to Nitro's 2.7. Nitro, for what it's worth at this point, is still doing strong replay numbers, doing about a 0.7 to a 1.0 in the replay spot later in the evening. April the 29th, we don't have the information for net we'll, uh, yet. We'll report that next month. As of that week, and also going into the bulk of May, uh, they've moved Nitro to 7pm to accommodate the NBA, so Raw and Nitro won't be going up against each other next month. We open Raw on April Fool's Day with the debut of Cactus Jack, now known as Mankind. He faces off against Bob Holly. Fans, some fans chant, he's hardcore. Mankind wins the match by jamming two fingers in Bob Holly's mouth as some kind of grip submission for the win. The music that plays afterwards is some sort of lullaby. They're saying that Underhurst Helmley was blaming his escort, Sable, for his defeat at WrestleMania last night. Sable has bought a ticket and is sat in the front row. She's got a good view of the debut of White. Wild man Mark Merrow against Isaac Yankum DDS. Underhurst Helmsley comes out to ringside and ejects someone from a seat next to Sable so he can get a view of the front row. It's a fairly even match. Merrow wins with a leg pin. There's a confrontation in the front row. Sable slaps Helmsley and Bad takes her to safety to the back. The Body Donners defeated the team of Barry Horowitz and Aldo Montoya. Shawn Michaels cuts a promo and says last night was the greatest moment of his life. He thanked everyone for being there for him. 
Sean said Brett made a believer out of him last night and in his eyes Brett will always be a champion. Sean said he promised to wear the belt with honour and the dignity that Brett had worn it in the past. Sean says Diesel and him make good friends but they make better enemies. They're trying to sell you a Shawn Michaels Championship plaque from last night. For some reason they advertise it with a picture of Shawn and Sid, but promise you if you pay the $49.95 you'll get one from last night. The plaque will also feature a small piece of the ring canvas from the event. The Undertaker faces Justin Hawk Bradshaw in the main event. Undertaker wins by DQ after Mankind comes out and attacks him. Mankind finishes the segment by dropping an elbow from the apron before doing the mouse submission on Undertaker. Now that's where we'll end it now. We'll jump back live to review the April 8th Raw and then we'll come back into the pre-tape segments to review the rest of the TV before In Your House. In what appears to be something that is very close to the truth, wrapped into a storyline for television, Bret Hart left the arena the night of WrestleMania straight after his match, leaving people to ponder what his future might hold. While his hiatus was fully expected, there have been some thoughts that Bret won't be returning after he's finished up his overseas commitments, rumours that the WWF didn't exactly try to squash on their television. While the swear word was beeped out, on the April 15th Raw, the WWF did air a clip of Bret immediately following WrestleMania saying, I'm just going to fuck off for a while. After that, they showed an interview with Bret from Germany, where the company were for the most part of April on tour. Bret commented on the Mania match, saying it was a 60-minute match, not a 62-minute match. He then said it would be a step down to work for another organisation, quote... As I understand it, there are certain wrestling organisations that seem to be throwing a lot of money around. I'm not greedy for money, I'm greedy for respect. While WWF officials are very confident thoughts of his permanent departure are wide of the mark, there is little clarity about when he might return. Reports are there is some legitimate heat between him and Shawn Michaels, and that plans to have their first rematch at SummerSlam may not sit well with Brett, particularly when they tell him they want to put Shawn over clean. It's said that part of Brett's plan is to give Sean the opportunity to sink or swim on top, with there being some valid reasons as to why Sean might not last as the WWF's number one guy. The original plan for the WrestleMania match called for it to be two falls apiece in normal time, then discussions led to one fall apiece before they settled on the nil-nil finish. It is said that Brett did the bulk of the planning for the match, and both men were quite high on it at the conclusion. With all that's said about Brett having heat with Sean, it's said that what appeared in front of the audience at the pay-per-view was just Brett playing out a storyline. Look, I don't blame you for shoving the media out of there. The press, they're parasites, McMahon. And Brett Hart wanted nothing to do with either the media or anyone else at that moment. He had lost he the most... He didn't shower. He, he just packed up his stuff and was leaving the building. He had lost the most precious thing in the world to him other than his family. He had lost the World Wrestling Federation Championship. On the banks of the Rhine River in Germany, Bret Hart now will reflect upon his WrestleMania match, other potential wrestling opportunities, and his future here in the WWF. You know, there, there's a lot of things that were wrong about that match. The, 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 the match itself was, uh, it wasn't beneficial to me, but that's fine. I accepted that, and I, and I still accept that. Uh, the fact that if it was going to be an hour, 60-minute, that's what I hear, 60-minute Ironman match. It wasn't a 60-minute Ironman match. It was a 62-minute Ironman match. And if there was going to be overtime or sudden death or anything of that nature, why did they ring the bell in the first place? They should have just... Here, it's like I wait. I wait and I wait and I promise myself that I'm going to wait till this guy makes his one big mistake. And he does. He makes it at the 59-minute mark. He gets careless, just like I always... I know this guy. 
he's going to get careless, and he may he and he and he makes that mistake. And then they got it's almost like they have the nerve to come up after I've beaten him. You know, he didn't give up, but don't tell me. No one can convince me that he wasn't history. He was done. He was finished. In the middle of the ring, there was no ropes. There was no one in the world that could save him. There wasn't any way he was going to kick out or kick me in the face or anything. He was a beaten man. He knows it, and I know it. And uh, they rang the bell. And it's not my job to beat Shawn Michaels. I said that from the very, very beginning. It's my job to keep the title. It's his job to beat me. And he never did in the 60-minute Iron Man match. I walked out of that ring. I should have kept on going back to the dressing room. And, you know, that, it's that delay, that little delay there of about two or three minutes of uh, getting the match restarted and uh, kind of getting my blood boiling. And, and that's, that's where I made my big mistake. I could, could never, ever see working for uh, another organization because I think it would be a step down. And... Uh, you know, as I understand, there's certain uh, wrestling organizations that th seem to be throwing a lot of money around. Uh, but I'd like to make it very well understood that that I'm not somebody that's greedy for money. I'm always uh, I'm, I'm a person that's greedy for respect. And uh, the only place I'm ever going to get respect is in the World Wrestling Federation. I think there's a certain part of me that... Uh, has less and less yearning to even come back to it because I think uh, I feel a little bit betrayed. As always, seems like every time I lose that damn title, I'm a little bit betrayed. But uh, yeah, I'd like a title shot first thing tomorrow morning. And we come back in uh, a, a bit of an odd discussion kind of chronology ahead of what we're going to discuss uh, in terms of the pay-per-view. Uh, the promo you just heard a few minutes ago was Bret Hart from the April the 15th show. We're going to discuss that and Bret Hart stuff after WrestleMania first. Uh, we're then going to jump forward and specifically look at the April the 8th Raw, the record-breaking 4.7 Raw. We're going to talk about a couple of things from that. And then we're going to go kind of back a week, kind of not, to look at Cactus Jack's debut as Mankind on, on WWF television this month. So it's all a bit out of whack. Um, but Rory, we, we start with with the Bret Hart story. Um, we, we could approach this from a number of different positions. Uh, start with what aired on Raw on, on April the 15th. Uh, we, we saw shots of uh, Bret immediately after WrestleMania walking through the back, wasn't talking to anyone, didn't want to be seen by the cameras. The, the line, you know, I guess I'm just going to fuck off for a while before jumping into a car and uh, and leaving, um, and then the interview on the Rhine or by the Rhine River in Germany, um, talking about you know, a close to a shoot promo as you're ever going to see, really, in terms of a of talking about interest from other organisations. Didn't mention WCW by name, but otherwise got pretty close. Uh, Roy, what do you think of all this? I thought it was a staggering interview. It's as honest. It's an honest an interview as I've seen on WWF television. I'm, it obviously wasn't live, but I'm still amazed that it aired in the form it did. I mean, this this was... The thing I particularly found so striking about it was that every word was spoken by... could have been spoken by Bret the Hitman Hart, or it could have been spoken by Bret Hart himself. It was as close to a shoot as you can possibly get within the confines of his character. There were parts of it where my jaw was on the floor when he was talking about other wrestling organisations throwing money around. I was like, what? You went there? And shortly afterwards, when he talked about um, how he felt betrayed every time he lost the title 
And when you look from a non-KFA perspective at his three, at his three title losses, you think that, yep, you've, you've definitely got a case on that one too. Um, was this him outright actually sending a message to Vince saying, look, if I'm going to come back, things need to be a little different around here. I don't know. But, um, so I use the word again. It was truly staggering the, the breadth he covered and the real insight, and I mean true insight we got in just over two and a half minutes. It was incredible. Amazing stuff for the WWF this. Dan? Yeah, touching on what Roy said as well. I mean, I think the relationship with Vince McMahon is also quite interesting because not only has Vince got a lot of trust in Brett um, as a man to let him make this shoot promo effectively and then broadcast it on Raw, but also the fact that it kind of insinuates, you know, from Brett's point of view, looking at you know Vince and going, well, look, I've had offers from effectively WCW. Um, they've already taken two of your guys and I'm on this break. If you don't want me to be one of those next lots of batch of guys going to WCW, you know, I've had talks. Do you want to have talks? You know, it's that sort of thing. So we could be seeing some more interesting contract discussions between him and Vince soon. And it's clear that Vince wants him to stick around because of the um, lack of stars that he's got. So I think it was a very interesting part of that from the relationship between um, Vince and Brett and that perspective. But going back to actual kind of the wrestling aspect, it was brilliant to hear the Brett bring up the issues that we've talked about, about the Ironman match at WrestleMania, where, you know, for 60 minutes, Brett and Sean were equal, were equally matched on that. And what all the things we were told going into that match, Brett would have walked out with that title because it was nil nil and he wasn't pinned. He did not lose the title match in those 60 minutes. And it's only thanks to Gorilla Monsoon and, um, from WF officials that he's now no longer the WWF champion. And I thought it was amazing to hear what he basically said was everything was true. I should, I shouldn't have lost that match because all the rules stated that I wasn't pinned. I didn't make a mistake during those 60 minutes. I waited for Sean to make a mistake. And in those 30 seconds to, until the final bell, he did. That's the sort of character he is. I locked him in the sharpshooter. He wasn't getting out of it. He didn't get out of it. And I should be the champion. And that's brilliant again, you know, because he's talking absolute sense. Um, and if he does return to WWF, wherever it may be, at SummerSlam possibly for the rematch with Sean, that's a great making of a heel turn if, if he wants him to go that way, because a great heel always has to believe he's right. And Brad's got every reason to think that he got screwed out of the WWF title. And that's again, that's a brilliant, brilliant promo from Brett. Um, not only set up shoot contract negotiations, but to also kayfabe offer up a great rematch for Sean later down the line. Yeah, I mean, let's not get too far involved in thinking this was a shoot. Let's not get too, you know, in terms of anything that Vincent Mann wouldn't have approved. I think the, the, the big giveaway that this was all planned was the fact that Brett had cameras trailing him right after the match. The fact that Brett swore in front of a camera right after the match, um, you know, I don't know when Brett's contract's up, um, but I, I don't know whether him saying anything on television is going to have a, a massive impact. I think it's just more, it's a sign that Vince McMahon is is trying something different on television. Um, you know, Brett, I, I think that's, Dan, I think the pit you touched on right at the end was kind of something that flashed through my mind as well, which is, 
I don't know that they're turning him heel, but this feels like it, it could be the start of one, um, in terms of Brett had a lot of very good points, but presented them in a way that, that came across like a heel. Um, and, and yeah, like a, an incredibly strong promo, one that was, you know, completely out of, of anything I can recall really on, on, on WWF television. Um, and Dan, I think you're right. We are, that they, they've laid the foundation now for Brett and Sean the rematch. Be that in three months, be that in six months, we don't know. Um, I think the, the, the follow on question from this, we'll kind of come back to what happened at the night of WrestleMania in a minute, but I guess the follow on question from this, Dan, is, is that if, when do you do the rematch and, and how do you do it? Um, personally, I wouldn't do it at SummerSlam because I would rather see the Shawn Michaels Vader match. Um, if you go, if you turn Brett Hill and keep Sean as champion, I would do it at WrestleMania again. So then you got the Brett possibly wins the Royal Rumble. This is obviously looking way ahead in the future. Um, we do it at, at WrestleMania 13 where Sean either is champion from now until the end until WrestleMania 13 or loses to Vader at SummerSlam and then gets it back at Survivor Series of Royal Rumble. That'll be how I do it. Rory? Well, first off, let's hope that we do get to see that rematch. Um, all, all the all the layout is that it absolutely should happen now. Would I do it at SummerSlam? I think I probably would, actually. Um, again, I think it all depends on obviously how long Brett wants to be away for. I think I would do it at SummerSlam. I would keep Brett face for that match. And... I, with my fantasy bookers uh, hat on, would have a semi-contentious Sean win in that particular match, and then you could do a slow burn, Brett, Brett gradually going heel throughout the year, perhaps winning the Royal Rumble in a tweenery heel role, and then doing the big one at WrestleMania. Of course, then if Brett is a full heel at WrestleMania, do you want him walking out with the belt as a heel, which goes against? all previous WrestleMania booking that we've seen in the past. Um, but if that gives us at least another two big pay-per-view matches between these two, then uh, I'd be all for it, and let's hope we get it. Yeah, um, I, I think I'm with you, Rory. Um, th- this probably should be the, the, the main event of WrestleMania next year. There's the, I don't think there's many doubts about that. You look at the lay of the line, you look at their... They're losing Diesel, they're losing Razor Ramon. Um, you know, Vader's really the only other guy, and I've... I've yeah, now isn't the time to do a massive discussion on Vader. We might have to do it doing the pay-per-view review itself. They haven't presented Vader. Um, um, they haven't presented Vader like a superstar yet. He's had some very, very dominant segments. Uh, we'll come on to his his segment with Yokozuna in a bit. Um, but equally, I, I've not seen yet. You know, they haven't interacted Vader and Sean. Perhaps that's a good thing. But I've not seen yet anything to suggest that they get it with Vader. Um, in terms of. They're not, to me, presenting him quite perhaps as they should be, but that's perhaps a discussion for another time. The fact is, I don't think they've got many, if we're going to talk about SummerSlam as, as the next big show in a few months' time, then WrestleMania as the, as the kind of the, the big light at the end of the tunnel, it probably is Brett and Sean at each, each stop. Um, I think that's probably the best way of doing it. And yeah, it's, they may not turn Brett heel. Um, they, they, it may just be a case that they just feel they don't have a choice in terms of they, they, they need the star power on the babyface side, but, but I'd consider it. Um, 
Rory, I guess we, we, we probably should go back and just look at WrestleMania. I, I guess firstly your your very brief thoughts on the match itself, and then focusing on on what happened after the match in terms of what we read and what we saw on Raw. Uh, how did you think that all played out? Uh, very briefly on the match, um, the, the work was absolutely magnificent. The booking of the hour was, as you discussed in depth on the last pod, a mistake. Uh, a sixty-minute match going nil-nil taking the crowd out of it early was a mistake. And as we go back to what we said, it meant Brett had a legitimate grievance. A nil-nil draw should have been enough for him to keep the belt. So I suppose, just thinking out loud, I suppose in that respect, his reaction from a kayfabe stroke, non-kayfabe uh, viewpoint does actually make sense. But I do like the fact that they had cameras tracking Brett on, on the way back. It added an extra real layer of reality to it when he's there with his head in his hands screaming at the camera, get out, get out. I thought that was, I thought that was very striking. And like I said about his interview, it really blurred the lines in a very believable way. Uh, I've got to say, the more I think about this, the more I think that Brett, the character and Brett, the person, you know, I'm with him on this one. He's, <laughs> everything he's saying is absolutely right. My only concern now is I'm not sure that the WWF from a television television perspective, that's really where they want to go with this, but it's how it's looking at the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I know what you mean, um, and I guess the... The, the offshoot question of that is: Is there a is there a point of view that Brett being making such good points reflects badly on Sean? I think their way out of it was just not really to draw attention to it in a weird kind of way, um, and maybe just think that let's just ride it and we'll we'll, we'll come back to the question in a few months uh, when that, Brett Brett comes back. That, but we, we did we didn't just I mean when I first saw that match I thought we were just going to get a big a big baby face handshake at the end of the match. I'm glad we didn't get that. We've got extra angles to explore now, and that's a positive thing for whenever Brett comes back. Dan, uh, quick thoughts on the match and your thoughts on how it played out afterwards? Um, the thoughts on the match, for me, it was like watching an hour-long ballet performance. I really admire what the people in there are doing. I know it's very good, but I'm still bored to tears. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, didn't, I did must admit it was a really drag performance, and I really didn't enjoy the match. Um, and as much as I respected the, the work rate and the technique that the guys did, I I got to 45 minutes and just wanted it to end. I was just pleading with something to happen. And call me a, you know, a casual, call me a kind of not a, a purist like someone like Dell would be, but I, again, didn't enjoy the match. Um, Interesting what Dell hit thinks, <laughs> thinks about you calling him a purist. I'll, I'll find out when I, <laughs> when I discuss with that with the next time. But go on, go on. Um, no, I, again, what Roy said there was like, oh, he could have got the handshake between two rivals who, you know, gave it their all. But, you know, you hear rumours of what Sean did in the ring about, you know, saying to the referee, get Brett out of my ring. This is my moment. Um, the What we'll get onto later on the show with, you know, Sean's heat um, at house shows. You know, I, we've discussed Brett turning heel, but maybe they could also turn Sean heel with, you know, Brett making all these valid claims about, you know, the company screwing him over and... It's a, it just, it, that, the end of that match and the way the kind of immediate aftershocks have happened, it just leaves either way for either one of them to turn heel and the, one of them will be perfectly, you know, susceptible to it because both of them have got their reasons. Sean's just, uh, again, what, what we said, you know, from here from reports, he's not a very, 
um, well-liked person in certain circles. So you could kind of draw off real life heat to make him a heel. And you can obviously turn Brett heel one of the ways we discussed earlier in the show. Yeah, or you could just leave them both face and just kind of have them as rivals. Um, we, we kind of saw that back mm-hmm. in November with Diesel and Brett. I, I don't, don't you think that if they do remain as friendly rivals, it gets a bit played out? Oh, yeah, I, I, I think if you end up doing match three and four in the next kind of year or so, I don't know that face versus face each time would work. Um, but equally... The, the Razor, the Razor, Shawn Michaels ladder match was the kind of like... Okay, Sean was a heel, and then they turned friendly rivals. I don't think you can do a 60-minute Iron Man match between two face rivals and then expect them to just to see a 20-minute match between, again, two friendly rivals. I think, it, I think you need to move the story on, and for that to happen, you need to have one of them as... The bad guy. No, no, I, I'm not necessarily saying that. I think just more you could present them both as baby faces, but they're they're enemies of each other. I think there's a way of doing that in terms of you just let fans pick side. It's a difficult line to cross, and I don't know that it's well, it, while you're trying to establish Sean as the next big guy, I don't know that bringing back Brett and trying to siphon off some of his support is necessarily the best idea. Uh, we will see. Anyway, we'll move on to the April the 8th Raw. Um, we'll focus in specifically on that. One, because it was the show that did the big 4.7 rating uh, up against, not up against Nitro, but it was also a bloody good show. So I'm going to rattle through it, and I'll just come to Dan and Roy for their, their quick thoughts on each of the segments. Uh, anyway, here we go. Uh, Raw has the floor with Nitro being off the air. Joe Law is facing Shawn Michaels, so Mr. Perfect is on commentary with Vince McMahon. Vader leathers Yokozuna with a right. Yokozuna responds in kind. Vader unloads on Yokozuna, driving him into the corner. Yokozuna plants Vader with a slam, then a big leg drop. Yokozuna starts slugging Vader in the corner. He charges at him, but Vader moves and Yokozuna falls into position. Jim Cornette holds Yokozuna's legs down and Vader does the Vader bomb onto Yoko's leg. The crowd are stunned into silence as Yoko bellows with pain and the ref calls for the bell. Vader does two further leg drops. This angle apparently is the right off Yokozuna so you can go off and see a weight loss specialist. They, they don't say that on there. I filled that bit in. Uh, this was excellent. I've got... <laughs> it, it would be funny if they did. Uh, this was excellent. Vader walks off to the back and a stretcher comes out to take Yokozuna away. The stretcher isn't sufficient so they literally get a forklift to take him to the back. Rory, what do you think of this segment? This was this was, this was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Vader absolutely needed to do something like this. He's been, okay, he came in, clean house in the Royal Rumble, which was impressive. Then he did the thing with Gorilla Monsoon, which was, what? But we now know that was just an excuse to give him a little bit of time off to uh, he also nagging injuries. Um, since he's come back, he's been pretty cold, I'm afraid. This has got the wagon rolling again. I mean, this was pretty damn brutal. I mean, dropping a Vader bomb on somebody's leg like that, that was... And I thought, I mean, Yokozuna wailing out in pain. And you're right, Bob, the crowd were... This was like this was like that weird Japanese heat where the silence speaks volumes from the crowd. It was, it was really there. I was like, wow, they... Again, they've gone there. This has put a lot, finally started getting a lot of heat on Vader, and they, they needed to write Yokozuna off television for a while. His, his, the first part of this babyface run has not worked at all. Uh, in every sense of the phrase, I, I think a bit of time off will be good for him. And you said there they didn't mention on there that he's gone to him, uh, sort out his weight loss. They didn't mention it on air, but the fact they had him leave on a forklift truck, 
as ignominious as that, then they might as well have had Vince McMahon do a piece to camera. Oh yes, we're sending Yokozuna to fat camp. <laughs> but uh, a, a, a great, a great, great angle, which is going to do a lot for Vader, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll do a bit for Yokozuna as well. Dan? I just can't get the image out of Yokozuna trying at fat camp and Vincent Mann, like, <laughs> God damn it, push-ups, set-ups, God damn it. Um, yeah, I, again, like Rory said, this was how to book Vader. You know, for three months after his debut at the Royal Rumble, he's A, been inactive, not been on TV enough, and when he is on TV, he's not been presented as a dominant force. You know, at, even at WrestleMania, I didn't get the sense that tagging Vader and all oh, this is this is going to get real now because he was he didn't really do anything that impressive at WrestleMania, but this on the other hand was an amazing amazing angle. Just the way that Yokozuna just just screams and howls in pain, and the way that Jim Cornette is just you know screaming at Vader as well to just keep doing it, keep doing it, um, was a really really effective way not only to get rid of a guy who's is who stars falling out so much, but also to guys you know saying to you know, looking at Yokozuna, who's been WWF's monster heel for, God, two years, two and a half years, since his, since uh, the babyface turn, and then in one fell swoop, the new guy comes in and just takes him out. You know, that's a huge statement of intent. And if they can keep up this sort of um, level of angle for Vader going into the summer, or in the, even during the year, then hopefully Vader's star can be um, rebuilt a bit, considering what he left at WCW. It's a real shame Yokozuna's so out of shape because he's still so good. Um, he's still got the best facial reactions of anybody. Um, we haven't really seen this side of him much before because generally Yokozuna was the guy ironically doing the very similar move. Vader does the Vader bomb off the second rope. Yokozuna does the bonsai rope off the second rope. That was, this was kind of roles reversed. Traditionally it was Yokozuna writing off guys by jumping off the second rope. Um, it is a shame and it is a hope that if he can come back a little bit lighter and maybe find some, some of that relative athleticism that he had two, two and a half, three years ago getting on now. Um, that, I think, Roy, you're absolutely right when you say that Yokozuna's babyface turn hasn't worked. But if he can go away for maybe six months, drop, I don't know, 50 pounds, 60 pounds, something noticeable, and then maybe you've got Vader on top, maybe Vader is champion, October time, Yokozuna comes back. I think he comes back as a big babyface, like a big babyface. Um, a lot of work to do to get there, but a really strong segment. We come back later. I'll, I'll jump slightly ahead in the show just to fill this in. Uh, we cut back to by the parking lot. Yokozuna is still on the forklift. Vader then returns with a chair and repeatedly hits him with, with it on the leg. Strong stuff. Yokozuna is gold, I've got in my notes. Uh, and then later on still, uh, we get Yokozuna placed on the floor, into the floor of an ambulance. Mr. Perfect calls it like free willy. That was the uh, extent of those segments that were stitched throughout the show. Two big thumbs up from me. Those places where a man goes that are of any real importance, Miss McMahon, are not places you will ever find upon a map. For a man to truly find himself, he has to go one place that we're all entitled to go to. Deep, deep, deep in the mind. In the three and a half years that I have been absent, there's one thing that would not die. 
the voices, the spirit of the warrior. You spoke to me. You spoke to me. All of you spoke to me. All of you. The very blood of your visions said one thing. We want it, warrior, and we want it bad. We want to live one more time in the power of the warrior. This guy's more of a lunatic than I thought. Yes, indeed. However, the new WWF Generation superstars unquestionably will be coming at you. How will the Ultimate Warrior fare against the WWF New Generation Superstars? All the new challenges that come with the new generation, the power of the Warriors will surely rise and meet. Each individual that oh, challenges here, that power here comes Goldust. Goldust is coming down the aisle. Doing so, What's he going to do? Get the Warriors' face? raise the heights of their understanding and show them that they too can be of the spirit of the warrior. And ladies and gentlemen, the man who will face the ultimate warrior, April 28th, the intercontinental champion, Goldust. Out and play. Warriors 1979. You little warrior can come in my house, but nobody will be there. But perhaps maybe we could play some games, something like a superhero game. Maybe you could be Superman. Maybe I could climb on your back and we could take off and you could fly away with me in the sunset. What do you think about that? Hold it right there, freak! Whatever you're trying to pull from the minds of those you screw with, And whatever those choose to do with what you dish out, let me make it perfectly clear what is, is. And whatever you're into, I don't give a sh. So, after the first part of the stretch a bit, uh, the rest of that happened during the show. Uh, but Warrior comes out next to so a great reaction, certainly bigger than Sean's last week. Warrior says he's gone deep, deep, deep into his mind. He says even in three years, the spirit of the warrior wouldn't die. Warrior says he will meet the power of the ultimate warrior. Out comes Goldust. Goldust does his deep breath in. Warrior follows it with a big snort. Goldust says maybe he could climb on Warrior's back and maybe they could take off into the sunset. Warrior calls him a freak. 
Let me make it clear. Whatever it is, is... And I don't give a shit. Shit was bleeped, obviously. Uh, Warrior lays out Goldust and the crowd pop. Goldust trips over the camera cable as he retreats. The crowds are going nuts for this. Dan. During this segment, I think Kurt Henning said, what do they see in this guy? And I'm going, yeah, why on earth are these people popping so much for the Ultimate Warrior? Because he looks, he is the biggest fish out of water. Um, you could possibly get in this new generation era for the WWF because his, I thought his promo was really um, rambling and pretty much didn't say anything really. Um, and then he's just swearing on live TV, which obviously, no, not live TV, my mistake. Um, swearing on TV, but in a PG product, um, I just, I just, honestly, I really struggled getting into this, this, this promo. And Goldust was by far and away the biggest. Um, um, highlight for me with his, you know, his movie quotes, I thought it was quite ingenious. Um, but yeah, I, again, I'm, I'm saying that I don't think Ultimate Warrior really fits in with this new generation war. Um, and if this, I know, I know he's over with the crowd, but how much of that is down to nostalgia and how much of that is down to what he actually is going to do in the ring, on the mic and in the matches? And it's going to be interesting, interesting to see. Rory. Yeah, I still can't quite work out why they brought the Warrior back when they did. I mean, we've been talking on WWF pods for the last six months now about apparently Vince wanting to employ uh, a slightly rougher, more realistic style. And uh, I'm all for that. So why is he bringing back the Ultimate Warrior, who is a, literally a cartoon character? <laughs> I'm, I totally agree with Dan. He just does not fit at all. He He truly does come from parts unknown. In the current WWF universe, it's just well, he, he comes from 1987, doesn't he? Really? Exactly, exactly. But and, and, I, and I think Dan's absolutely right. I think the pop, the pop he got, and it was huge. And the pop he got was absolutely huge when he came when he came out when he dead gold dust. I think the crowd were going, the crowd were going nuts. As much as I'd like to argue that point, I can't. But I do think it's a nostalgia-based thing. Um. I, I thought Goldust was terrific, absolutely terrific. He, he has got that character scarily down well. I've got to say it's uh, it's it's worrying <laughs> how much he's actually into it. It's absolutely incredible. I think Dustin Rhodes is absolutely after a slow start. He's brilliant in this role, and he he carried the entire segment. I'm going to save passing comment on this until the pay-per-view review. <laughs> Hunter Hearst Helmsley right. has a new woman by his side. Outcharges Duke the Dumpster Druzy. We get a split screen with Wildman Mark Merrow, who says the surprises will start next week on Raw. Helmsley hits the pedigree at the second time of asking and finally gets his win back over Druzy. Next up, after the uh, last bit of the Yokozuna segment, we get an arm wrestling contest between Ahmed Johnson and the British Bulldog. Owen makes a reasonable point about Ahmed Johnson being covered in oil before saying he could slip and then get extra leverage. Not sure that works. Uh, Owen, <laughs> Owen is over-officiating. This is great. Owen wasn't actually the ref, but he, he was Bulldog's kind of heavy in all of this. Eventually, the ref loses it and orders Owen to the back. The match starts. Bulldog starts out hard, but Ahmed rallies. Bulldog goes again. Ahmed rallies again and wins it. Diana Smith is at ringside. Bulldog attacks Ahmed after the match, folding down the table and laying it against the turnbuckle. Bulldog hits Ahmed with a chair shot, a chair shot across the back. The chair bounces through the ropes and crashes into a camera. 
camera. Bulldog whips Ahmed into the table. He hits it so hard he just bounces off. Bulldog resets it, goes for it again, and the table still doesn't break. Bulldog just throws the table on top of him at this stage and then stamps on it and then throws it at him again. Dan? They don't make tables like they used to, do they? Nope. Um, Owen Hart is just is gold, isn't he? He's just so, so entertaining. Um, and we'll get more of this during the pay-per-view as well. But he is, if you want just to put anyone in the ring with Owen Hart to get to them to, to be entertained, just, he just makes everything just that much better with his mic skills. And Bulldog and Ahmed were just secondary players in this until right in the end where Bulldog does the beat down in Ahmed. Um, so that's going to be, I don't, we'll get onto this more again in the pay-per-view comes, but, you know, Bulldog versus Armour Johnson was be, it would be an amazing program, I think, for, you know, a couple of months because both of them are big power guys. Both of them have got a look. You've got all the shenanigans of Owen and, and Cornette outside the ring. Um, and again, we'll talk, we'll talk about this more during the podcast as we go along, but I just thought that the Bulldog Ahmed program going forward, later down the year, maybe would be a great, a great a great segment to talk about because it, it's uh, really entertaining this uh, this arm wrestling contest. Yeah, um, they didn't it didn't lead anywhere directly, um, but I think that's something that we we were, I think it's a program because we didn't get there wasn't really a payoff to this angle beyond them having a uh, a pay per view opener, and even then that you know, we'll, we'll get to that bit, and you'll kind of find out that that's almost a cliffhanger, and where we get to on the raw after the pay per view. Um, I think they'll come back to this, uh, would be my hunch. Uh, would be, could be as early as June, uh, depending on what they do with Bulldog in May. Uh, Roy, what do you think? Uh, thank goodness Owen Hart was out there, and he made what would have been something that only Vince McMahon would ever want to watch, a, a British Bulldog Ahmed Johnson arm wrestling match, a million times more entertaining. The thing about Owen, he's just so... <laughs> He's just so persnickety as a heel, you know. He, he, he picks up on such minor, minor details. But again, it's, it's what I said earlier, makes him a great heel because he believes he's right and he has a case. And he's just so riotously entertaining, despite not being on the face of it what you would call a great promo. He's just this really annoying... He frustrates the hell out of you in the best possible way. He's, he's, he just plays his role perfectly. And I thought the the action, <laughs> to be charitable, was it did what it needed to do, or it did what at the time I thought it was going to do, which would have been building up to a, a, a Bulldog Ahmed Johnson match at the pay per view. Uh, I thought Bulldog's uh, beatdown was uh, was fairly effective. It, it got good heat on him. At, uh, at the end of the day, it's Bulldog versus Ahmed Johnson. You know. <laughs> Say no more. Yeah, they they used Owen to get over a segment that otherwise would have died a death, and as a result, it just about worked. Uh, Owen is great fun. He could slip and then get extra leverage. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's the that's 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 that's. I need logic like this from my heels. Uh, Owen's Owen's like the school kid that every teacher hates. Not because he's not you know not because he's like this big asshole or he's like this massive like villain. He's just that little. He just keeps chipping away in the corner and trying to be the smart ass. I thought it was really fun segment because of Owen. Anyway, we come on to the main event segment. Diesel comes out wearing a Shawn Michaels tee. He's here for commentary. He's le- he leaves Vince hanging with a handshake. As to why he's wearing the t-shirt, I'm part of the clique, isn't everybody? 
For a guy leaving in two months, they're definitely showcasing Diesel. The match isn't anything much, particularly the antics from Lawler, but the focus on Diesel on commentary. They even go for a split screen from the MSG house show in March. Lawler hits a pile driver, but Sean kicks out. Sean hits a top rope elbow, but foregoes the pin and starts jaw-dragging with Diesel. Lawler reaches into his singlet for something, but Sean just turns round and levels him with a super kick for the win. Vince then announces next week on Raw they're going to be online three minutes early at 8.57. Diesel gets in the ring and starts attacking Sean, then gets chucked the belt and lays Sean out with it. Rory? I'm part of the clique, isn't everybody? God, that Diesel won, that Diesel, I tell you. This was, again, brilliant. A, a, a brilliant, brilliant segment. Again, the match wasn't much, but it wasn't supposed to be. It was just, this was just a match where Shawn Michaels was going to win. I mean, I, I like Lawler on commentary, but I don't need to see his 1950s heel tactics ever again in the ring, but we, we won't worry about that. They got the, it, was, it was an excuse to get Diesel out there, and it worked perfectly. His, all of Diesel's comments on the mic were fantastic. Shawn being semi-distracted by him, still having enough him to actually win the match. I thought that was great. And one thing I really liked, just a nice little bit of heel continuity, who chucked the belt to Diesel? Mr. Perfect. I thought that was just a, a great tiny little bit of detail, which which I loved. And again, the beatdown did exactly what it needed to. Sean tried to fight back, tried to, tried to hit back first, as they say, which I thought was great. Then the end, Diesel was just too much for him. Big shots, belt was thrown in. Whack Sean with it, stands tall at the end. Simple booking, but so, so effective. Big thumbs up. Yeah, the small throwback goal to probably the first month we were doing this podcast when Sean faced Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam in 1993. Um, Roy, I, I should remember what happened. Do you remember what happened there? Perfect just disappeared, didn't he, after that? Uh, that Sean Perfect match, I think that was the match with, uh, I think Sean won that one by count out, and then Perfect disappeared until he guest refereed the abomination between Luger and Yoko at WrestleMania 10, I yes. think. And then he just vanished again for a while, didn't he? I think, See again. I think he just, did he just turn up on commentary at like Survivor Series 95 out of nowhere? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, but no, you're, you're right. The, the, the last time Perfect was really a character of any note in, in any kind of program was in a, a feud with Sean. So there is a nice little throwback there. Although I get the feeling if I'd forgotten it, I don't know how many people would have seen that, but equally, I don't think it's the thing that matters. I think it's, if you're paying a lot of attention, we'll throw you a bone. If not, who cares? Dan? Yeah, um, i got to be honest, I didn't really, I can't remember anything that Joe Lord did in this match because all my attention was on Diesel and Shawn Michaels. Because and they and, were and really all of your attention was only ever meant to be on Diesel and Shawn. That was how it was presented. Yeah, but i got to admire Roy for picking that little thing that Joey did because I didn't, so that was good, good for him. Um, I'm in two minds about this because, on the one hand, this is this is the diesel that we've been waiting for for God knows almost a year. Um, because even when he was feuding with the Undertaker, he wasn't this cool as a as a heel. Um, you know, just the little lines of commentary, the beat down at the end, the look. I mean, he looks absolutely brilliant you know the sunglasses the long hair he just, he just looks like a star that is a, that short shirt is awful it should be said <laughs> no, I, I actually kind of i actually kind of liked it with the with the dark the dark shades and the, and the jeans i kind of liked that must, must be it but going back to what i said a minute ago he looks amazing part of me is going yeah why are you drawing attention to diesel when you know he's going to go to the other company 
if you are gonna if you are gonna let a guy who's been your champion for a year go to the other company in two months, three months, whoever it is, why are you making him look this good? Why can't you build this match on you know promos, the history, the video packages that they've had in the past? Why do why do that? Why are you building up this guy to look this amazing when he's not going to be around for much longer? And again, we'll get to this later on in the show. Because, but uh, I think we'll discuss me, that, that when we get around to the pay per view. But go on, Dan, carry on. I was going to, yeah, I'll get to that later on. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. Yeah, um, I so, yeah. Overall, I was, I was conflicted by this segment as much as I enjoyed Diesel. No, I know uh, the, the match is what it is. As I say, it, it, it was never anything you're meant to remember. I, I started reading that paragraph. I actually couldn't remember who was in the match. I'm glad, I'm glad I had it written down further down. Um, but yeah, it was all about Diesel, and uh, I think it. I think it helps that not only is Diesel now playing a character, he's much more natural as, like, infinitely more natural. I also get the feeling that now he knows he's going. There's he's probably more relaxed. There is probably a bit more I don't give a shit attitude. And it's an attitude that fits the character he's trying to play in. So it's very, very convincing. And he kind of goes in on commentary and just, he's almost kind of being Kevin Nash. It came across really well. It was an effective, if slightly paint-by-numbers segment, but I'll give Diesel credit. Like, it was it was him probably at his best, I would say. And it, it, it brings to a conclusion, I think, top to bottom, a fantastic show. Um... Yeah, there's there's a WCW show at the end of the month that I praise for being perhaps the the best Nitro since the first one. This may be the best Raw since that time, since September, since we started having these head-to-head bonds in terms of that every segment felt like it mattered. They forwarded three or four different storylines. It was strong. They laid the foundations for a few other things in Bulldog and Ahmed Johnson and maybe even in Perfect and in Shawn Michaels. I don't know what situation was with Perfect and his uh, insurance policy, but maybe if he wants to get back in the ring, that's a, the that's a direction they could go in. Uh, a very strong segment. Once again, in, in mankind, I, I have to ask you this question. Please explain to us the principles of this this debilitating maneuver. Would you like me to show it to you? Yes, no, yes. just explain it. Show it. Do you know there are over 740 pressure points in the human body, and during the course of an isolated adolescence, I explored them all, searching for the weapon from which there would be no escape. There's a wonderful nerve running underneath the eye socket. Look, as you can see, no matter how hard I try, I don't know, but underneath the tongue where the flesh is weak and the nerves run deep, when enough force is exhibited, there is no escape. Temporary paralysis overcomes the body. And the only hope is mankind's love for humanity. And I assure you, I have none. Don't you fear the retribution of the Undertaker? Please Think show of Ross. what you've done to the Undertaker. Stick it in I'm his not mouth. Surprised that these fingers were able to destroy the Undertaker, but I am surprised by just how easy it really was. So show some courage, you gutless fool, or I will destroy you whenever and wherever I feel like it. And to tell you the truth, I'm becoming bored with your weakness. 
Uh, thank you very much, Jeff. Right, one more thing to discuss uh, before we get on to the pay-per-view. Uh, we go back uh, a week. Uh, he was on all month, actually, I suppose. Um, but to the first showing of Mankind. Also, we've seen these Mankind. Cactus Jack of ECW and WCW fame. We've seen a lot of these uh, vignettes, these 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 middle little promos in the month leading up to it. All very mysterious, all very spooky. Uh, Rory, what were your your thoughts on on seeing Mankind and his his first few matches and, and moments on Raw? I mean, the last. I mean, it was only a month ago I was on the um uh, the ECW pod, and I was just gushing uncontrollably about Mick Foley. And uh, more of the same here, I'm afraid. Uh, this the mankind character. It's it's so 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 different to Cactus Jack, but at the same time, that there are there are traces of Cactus Jack in there, which I think is brilliant. It's almost like if if Cactus Jack was left alone on desert island for ten years, he he would turn into mankind. He would develop a hatred for mankind. So there are traces of that in there despite being a whole new character, which Mick Foley, again, has just got. It's just incredible. The man, in a way, the man is almost too good for the wrestling business. But I'm, 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 at the same time, I'm very, very glad we've got him. And, fingers crossed, we've, we've been burnt before. On this very first Raw, he ends it by going after and getting the better of, of all people, The Undertaker. That that bodes well for mankind in this... Um, uh, in this in this run of his, and I, I really really hope that goes it does go there, and they're already getting over this astounding finisher of his, which is it looks. I mean, everyone he's actually put it on is also Salt Bob Holly Aldo Montoya Undertaker. <laughs> There's some company for you. Looks absolutely. It looks incredibly. Looks like it paralyzes them, and they they get that over along with his own in-depth work with this character, then they could could have something special on their hands. Let's hope so. Dan? Yeah, I mean, Mick Foley, as we know, with 95 ECW, is just masterful with the mic, with words and character. And in the, in the space of a month, we've seen the manifestation of this take hold. I mean, the Mankind character is just brilliant. You know, as, as deranged... This deranged individual who pulls out his own hair, squeals like a pig, shoves his fingers down someone's throat, and then has soft little piano music um, next to him in the ring. It's just, you know, brilliant stuff. Um, and as Rory said, going after the Undertaker is bodes well for um, his future character. Hopefully it doesn't turn into the generic has a couple matches with Undertaker and then loses a casket match in the third match. But given how highly they think that it looks like they rate McFoley and his character and his ring work, hopefully that won't um that won't happen and we can get some good matches out of Undertaker, which is something that hasn't happened for oh god, almost two years now since um you know the fake Undertaker, the IRS, King Kong Bundy, Karma, you know, all these terrible matches with the Undertaker and finally now it looks like he might touch wood of a foe that can match him. And that can only be a good thing for, you know, two characters now that WWF have got who are probably the best in the business. Yeah. In terms of gimmicks. 
Yeah, no, I'd agree. I, I, I guess my one doubt over this is whether the, the what what the match quality between these two will be like. Um, I guess you could cover it just by doing a load of gimmick matches. It would it would certainly fit to characters like these. You know, them having a a traditional wrestling match, even in a wrestling in even in a wrestling universe, doesn't necessarily make total sense. Um, but yeah, two big thumbs up from me from the first month. I think he's been captivating the stuff with him pulling out his hair is great. Um, that I think there's, there's a lot they need to fill in about his motivations. I know they've, they've done some stuff, but I think it's almost been too cryptic so far. Um, Undertaker is a very interesting first opponent. One, I think that signposts the audience that this is a character we're taking seriously and this is a character that you should take seriously too. I'm a big fan of that. Finisher, I think, is fantastic. Um, it's one that, one, Mick Foley really needs to stop doing the elbow drop off the apron one because, it, well, generally it's not the easiest, you know, most logical move to do in the sense that generally you, you invariably can't pin someone outside the ring. But two, because it's probably not very good on his hips or his back. Um, he's now got a finisher that theoretically you can do on everyone. And it looks brutal. I mean, the whole thing with kind of like the, it's not glove. He's kind of got this like wrap around two fingers that, that kind of makes it look even more sinister. Like he needs to like keep those fingers together to apply maximum pressure. It looks great and it fits the character perfectly. And his explanation on Raw, uh, it might have been on the Raw after the pay-per-view, might be on the one before the interview with Jim Ross, where he, you know, he kind of explains how the move works and why it works. I thought that was a really effective thing to do in the sense that one, it gave you a, a very nice insight into what the character was about, or a glimpse into what the character was about anyway. And two, it kind of explained the finisher. I think, you know, beforehand you might look at it and go, well, he's just sticking his fingers in someone's mouth. What's so devastating about that? Then he explains it and then you go, ah, okay, I get it now. Um, but yeah, two big thumbs up from me. We open Raw on April the 15th with a preview of comments from Bret Hart on the Germany tour. He says after what happened, he's not so sure he wants to come back. Mark Merrow, alongside Sable, defeats Leif Cassidy. After the match, we get a phone-in from Diesel reflecting on his actions from both the MSG house show in March and last week on Raw. After a physical match, Stone Cold Steve Austin puts away Bart Gunn with the Million Dollar Dream submission. We get a promo from Jim Cornette. He's talking up Vader taking on Razor Ramona in your house. Razor Ramon has made some bad career choices by signing a contract to get in the ring on April 28th. We get a long montage showing Sonny on the beach. I mean, why not? Uh, Goldust takes the microphone during the match against Savio Vega. He says that if the fans don't shut up, he's going to go out there and kiss each and every one of them. That was a shot of heat in the arm this match, this show needed. Vega crotches Goldust on the top rope. King says, Vega is trying to destroy the Golden Globes. Savio ends up levelling Goldust with the title belt after a ref bump. He pins Goldust and wins the match, but there's another ref to help turn the decision around. Well, actually, Gorilla Monsoon comes out and declares the title vacant and orders a rematch for the following week. 
We see a footage of Bret Hart leaving after WrestleMania. At one stage, he gets in his car and says, I'm just going to fuck off for a while. It'll see, beat the fuck. We join Bret by the Rhine River in Germany. He says there were a lot of things wrong with the match. He says the match was a 60-minute match, not a 62-minute match. Bret says they rang the bell with Sean in the sharpshooter. They rang the bell and the match was over. Or it should have been. He said it would be a step down to work for another organisation. As I understand it, there are certain wrestling organisations that seem to be throwing a lot of money around. I'm not greedy for money. I'm greedy for respect. On to April the 22nd, we open up with the Intercontinental title match with a vacant title between Savio Vega and Goldust. Goldust kisses Vega early in the match, which gets some heat. Later on, Steve Austin and Ted DiBiase come out. Austin leathers Vega with a million dollar title with the ref distracted by Marlena, and that's enough for Goldust to pick up the win. Vader defeats Fatu with the Vader Salt. Vince claims, quote, We've never seen that before in the WWF. Forgetting not only that Bam Bam Bigelow has done the moonsault on WWF television in the past, Vince has even commented on it before and said, You won't see that anywhere else in relation to Vader doing it in WCW at the time. We get highlights from the Germany tour, including Jake the Snake Roberts attacking the British Bulldog after a match. Sonny walks out with the tag titles during a Godwin squash match. Whole bit of Jim's cares are off. The Godwins win it, but the body dons attack them post-match, and they slop Phineas. Mankind at one stage pulls out his own hair during a match against Aldo Montoya. Montoya passes out in the finger submission. They do a really nice video package documenting the friendship and rivalry of Shawn Michaels and Diesel. Diesel says he doesn't want the belt. He held it for over a year, but now that he's what he is, he's the bad guy. He threatens Vince, and the promo ends. And we will move on to the pay-per-view. Rory, you can kick us off with the results. Well, indeed. Owen Hart and the British Bulldog defeated Jake Roberts and Ahmed Johnson in a tag team match. In a match for the Intercontinental Championship, the Ultimate Warrior defeated Goldust by countout. Vader defeated Razor Ramon. The Body Donners defeated the Godwins in a match for the Tag Team Championship. And Shawn Michaels defeated Diesel in a no-holds-barred match for the WWF Championship. Dan, what do you think of this show? Um, I thought that this match was probably carried by the main event, but the main event was amazing. So when you go and sign up to the pay-per-view, really the only match you want to see is Diesel versus HBK. And in that regard, you got your money's worth from it because it was a fantastic main event. Like, probably... In my opinion, it blows the Iron Man match out of the water for entertainment um, and probably is a candidate for match of the year in WWF terms. The undercard was all right. I mean, Vader and Ramon and um, the tag, uh, the first tag team match opener was, was pretty good. But as I said earlier, this was a one-match show and it delivered in spades. Rory? It was the ultimate one-match show. I thought this, until the main event, this was a, a, a poor pay-per-view. I thought there were... Of the, of the five matches, one was a completely not a horror show. Two were bad. One could have been a lot better. We'll talk about that when we get there. But the main event, in its own right, was magnificent. But I also think it was added to by the fact that it could end up down the line, for reasons we'll talk about later on, end up being an extremely important watershed match for the WWF. But this event needed it, because if it wasn't for that, I'd thought this was this was very poor but the main event was 
very, very not poor. Fantastic. It needed to be, and it was. Yeah, we, we've seen a lot of in-your-house shows that have really been saved by big matches, and you know they, they've not always been in the main event. Actually, certainly in the middle of last year, we had a lot of, you know, we had Diesel in the main events. It was it was Sean or, or Brett in, in the mid card, um, and you know I've kind of got to the end and gone. You know what? If you paid your fifteen bucks or twenty bucks, whatever you're paying now, um, you got with through the one big match, you got your money's worth. Uh, I think you just about did, but boy, it was painful getting there. Uh, at times it was anyway. Vader raises quite good. Um, and we'll discuss kind of Razor and Diesel in their kind of final pay-per-view showing uh, as we get to those matches. I will prelude our, our review by saying that Goldust got injured, I presume, on the tour of Germany. He can't have got injured anywhere else. Um, and they very much knew that he was in no position uh, position to perform uh, long before the show started, many days before. Anyway. We open up with quite a nice video package previewing Diesel and Shawn Michaels. The camera pans to the crowd and we see a gay dust sign. Vincent Mann and Jerry Lawler have the call. Clarence Mason is out protesting something. Mason and Cornette are both enraged about the presence of the snake. The ref shows Roberts a contract that seemingly, well, implies that the snake cannot be allowed at ringside. Roberts rips up the contract, charges at the heels of the snake and they scarper, all except Cornette who faints. Roberts takes the snake back, returns it a short while later, and he returns to the back and then comes out a short while later with Ahmed Johnson. Our tag match opening the show is the British Bulldog and Owen Hart, with Jim Cornette and Clarence Mason versus Jake the Snake Roberts and Ahmed Johnson. Roberts tags in Ahmed Johnson, so Bulldog runs scared and tags in Owen. Bulldog gets in it with some fans opposite the hard camera. Johnson launches Owen into the turnbuckle and gestures for Bulldog. Johnson goes for a reverse atomic drop, but just throws Owen into the corner. Roberts tags in, calls for the DDT, which rips up the crowd, but Owen scarpers for cover in the corner. Bulldog hits a slam and goes for a running elbow, but Roberts moves and gets the tag in on Johnson. Bulldog drops her to the outside and starts feigning an injury. Owen loses a test of strength against Johnson. Johnson starts feigning, flailing arms and kicks on Owen in the corner. Bulldog pulls them apart. Johnson drives Bulldog into the heel corner, but Owen takes a shot and they regain control. Johnson recovers and hits a press slam. Roberts tags in, runs into a knee and a drop kick from Owen. Bulldog drops a leg. He holds Roberts on the mat and Owen drops a toe, uh, top rope elbow for a two. The heels are dominating Roberts at the moment. Roberts rallies out of the submission but catches a leg kick from Owen on the apron with the rest back turned. Owen tags in, shoots for a sleeper but Roberts escapes it with a sit-out neck breaker. Johnson finally gets a hot tag and unloads on Bulldog, hitting a wild spine buster, laying Owen out with a right. He even feints to hit the ref. Roberts, who hasn't really sold the beatdown for very long, tags back in, goes for a DDT but ends up hitting a back body drop on Owen. Bulldog grabs, grabs Cornette's tennis racket, hits Roberts behind the knee multiple times with the rest back turn, then locks in a standing leg lock, and Roberts submits. Stan? Um, I, I thought it was an okay opener. It wasn't like, you know, didn't set any of my pulses racing, but then again, didn't bore me watching it. Um, again, Owen Hart is very entertaining. I thought he and, him and Bulldog are still the most outstanding tag team in the division. Um, that says very, him. very little. True, but the, I think they would stack up with, you know, most tag teams of the nineties. You know, they would stack. Yeah. I wouldn't say they were better than them, but they would, you know, fit in. They could hold their own. I, I think if they're in WCW's tag division right now, they'd hold their own, but they'd be no better. Yeah, true. Um, Ahmed Johnson is um, 
like watching a rodeo performance with a cowboy getting absolutely harassed around by a bucking cow or bucking bronco. <laughs> it's like you know something's going to get go wrong and something's going to get hurt, and don't we don't know when, but it will happen. Um, and he does these weird things where he's spinning around and kicking someone in the in the middle of the corner, but the carries no impact whatsoever. And he just—he's so green. He might as well be walking in grass, you know, because he's so bad. But he's, he's chaotically entertaining to watch. Um, and I thought the finish as well was pretty weird. I mean, I'd have no problem with them like submitting Jake the Snake Roberts, um, but the the actual submission hold that Bulldog put on him was looked so pathetic. <laughs> it just it just lifts his leg up and then you know bends the knee a wee bit, and then all of a sudden, oh, Jake Roberts in agony, he's got to tap out. I know you know they're trying to tell a story that oh they whacked his knee with a chair. Um, tennis and... racket. Tennis racket, sorry. Um, but then you could I didn't think you could put in a half Boston crab or a leg lace or something a bit more kind of you know even a figure four if they wanted to be a bit more kind of um, dramatic and it's a bit touchy territory with Ric Flair. But anything other than that submission hold it just looks so stupid and so weak to submit a guy. Um, but that was a minor nitpick. But overall, I thought the match was okay. Two two and a half stars. Roy, two and a half stars. I thought it was excess- excessive. Not that not we do match ratings, uh, but go, uh, uh, Rory. <laughs> two and a half stars. <laughs> no, um, I. This was just just the wrong choice for opener. The, the, the way they went with it, I I thought the story they told at the beginning with the old Clarence Mays and stuff. That was, it was never really explained in the first place. We didn't need to do that on pay-per-view. I mean, I love Cornette, but him fainting with the snake just looked incredibly hokey. I, I thought we sort of got off on a bad start there. And the match itself, uh, was, again, for the second time today, thank goodness Owen Hart was in there, because otherwise this could have been, this could have been horrendous. He held everything together in his own stellar way. But there's only so many things you can do with Jake. I mean, Jake's prime in the ring was 10 years ago, and he wasn't exactly a ring technician even then. It's always been about his uh, psychology and his promos. And so an extra 10 years on top of that ain't a good look. And whenever Ahmed comes in, I just cringe. I think he did three moves in the match, and they all looked, in the worst possible way, lethal. I mean, that spinebuster on Bulldog, I mean, that was just pure filth. <laughs> He just, I was he thinking out. more the initial kind of throw that he does to Owen. Oh, yeah, yes, as well, yes. Oh, just, something's got to happen. I mean, if, if they are as high on him as we think they are, they've, some, they've got to have a word with him. He's going to seriously injure somebody one of these days. Ugh, thankfully he wasn't in, in the ring much. And, uh, and the finish was, was just ridiculous. Here's a thought. You want a submission finish? Why not have a person, person who has the submission finisher doing it? Like Owen Hart. Oh, like a sharpshooter or something. Well, no, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. This, this, this bit made sense because they're setting up Bulldog for Sean. That made sense. Yeah, all right, okay. But in that case, give Bulldog another match then, okay? Well, I don't think Bulldog really well, gains g- any... Give him another finisher, I think, would be probably the better yeah. way of it. Well, I'd be happy with that. Okay, even if, even if you just, okay, hit his running power stand. I, I, I could live with that, rather than some sort of holding a leg without even turning his opponent over. Uh, I, I, th- I think I think they were going for the fact that uh, Jake had been so incapacitated by the uh, tennis racket shot that he wouldn't be able to get out of anything. But I think I'm 
almost with being a bit kind there. It was a it was a perplexing finish to a match which was dull at best, a bad bad start. The tennis racket shots looked a bit shit, uh, <laughs> which kind of undercut the ending for me in the sense that it. Yeah, Bulldog kind of, you know, goes for a couple of shots behind the knee. Okay, fair enough. But they didn't look that, you know, impactful. There's only so much damage a couple of those can do. And then he just lifts up Roberts into this, you know, leg submission. And then it's all over. I'm thinking, that just, that, for, for what was meant to be presented as a very uh, nefarious finish, came across very cleanly. I mean, I know he got some shots in with a legal weapon, but it didn't, it didn't look that impressive. The match was, ugh, yeah, I mean, it, it's still the Ahmed Johnson thing. I mean, I'm assuming these guys are working pretty similar matches most nights on these kind of house show tours and these, these European tours. But if in any event, like, they, they do any kind of rotation on these shows, I would be shitting myself if I got to an arena and I saw my name opposite Ahmed Johnson in a singles match. <laughs> Uh, that would not, that would not be a fun evening ahead. And yeah, I don't know that I'd be doing Ahmed Johnson and Jack Roberts tag matches. Cause as you say, you, you don't want to leave Ahmed Johnson there for too long, but you don't want to leave Jake in there for too long either. Um, and God knows how they got away with it with Yokozuna as the third wheel in that tag match at WrestleMania. I mean, they did. Um, but yeah, it was okay. Um, it, it, this comment will make a lot more sense given what follows, but I, I was thinking this, watching this match at the time, I thought maybe a few too many, you know, shenanigans going on. The stuff pre-match, there was a lot of faffing about during the match as well. Um, and yeah, I, I, I will, I will mention it now while I remember it. Uh, the pre-show dark match for this show, uh, was the 1-2-3 kid versus Wildman Mark Merrow. That match for Bolocast actually wasn't that brilliant, uh, but I wonder whether that would have been better on this show. And next up, it's Goldust with Marlena versus the Ultimate Warrior. Goldust is wrestling with me strapping, the strapping on the outside of his wrestling suit. Warrior comes out to an inevitably big reaction. We get a Warrior logo shaped pyro ring, rig, a descent from the rafters and fireworks as Warrior poses on the turnbuckle. Goldust takes refuge on the outside. He's got a heavy in a suit at ringside too for this one. Dan, uh, do you know who the heavy was? No idea. Rory. Uh, I do indeed. Ah, you, you, you two have, uh, done your research. The, the heavy in, in, in this match, I, I, I didn't know this was the lighter, was, uh, a guy who wrestles under the name Bruiser Mastino, uh, appeared in ECW a few months ago, but you may remember him slightly more infamously from his run last year as Mantor. So that was a, uh, interesting little reprise for that character anyway. He's got him at ringside as his enforcer. Goldust legs it up the R-way. Warrior follows, then smokes Marlena's discarded cigar. The referee starts making a count and then just gives up. Warrior gets Marlena's director's chair, puffs his hair up and grabs a hold of Goldust's wig and robe. This delay takes ages. Goldust grabs the mic and says, if you people don't shut your mouths, I'm going to come out there and kiss each and every one of you. Warrior offers the wig in the direction of Goldust as a peace offering. Warrior then offers Goldust the robe. Eason holds it up, allowing Goldust to get it back on, which he does. Goldust then sits in the chair. This is fucking dull. I've got it in my notes. Goldust holds out his hand. Warrior stubs the cigar on his hand, closes eyes off the chair, and Goldust beelines it up the aisleway and gets counted out. Horrendous. 
Godless bodyguard tries to get some offense in. Warrior no sells it, hits a pair of close lines and a flying shoulder block. Body slams him, and then his music hits. Dan, talk us through this. What the hell was this? I'm a sports fan as well as a wrestling fan, so I like to be entertained by some some sort of physical action. I don't expect to see some guy in a mullet and a bloke in a painted gold overall suit stagger around and talk for seven minutes whilst one of them sits in a chair and smokes a cigar. This is not entertainment. Um, I know, I know they were booked into a corner because Goldust was injured, but it's clear from the Ultimate Warriors reactions that the crowd don't want wrestling from him. They just want to, to see him do his, do his bit and then go off. Why would you just not say that Goldust is injured? He hurt himself in action on a house show or later early on in the night and then bring out Jobber Y or Jobber X, whoever's there. And just have Ultimate Warrior steamroll them like he did to Helmsley at WrestleMania. That would have been fine. That would have sent the crowd home happy. Instead, we get this. This pile of nonsense. Which was absolutely diabolically stupid. Um, and I really, really, really didn't enjoy any single bit of it. Um, apart from one thing from that Goldust did, which is the perfect response to anyone who chants faggot at you. I'm going to kiss every one of you, which is the best response to a chant I've heard from wrestler in 96. Apart from that, absolutely useless. Rory. What a load of shite. This was just unspeakably, appallingly, disastrously rubbish. Just... (laughs) But that would actually be my entire response, just one long... I'll, I'll try and make some sense of this best I can. Just imagine, actually, I mean, I don't know how much uh, an in-your-house show costs uh, across the water, but who plopped down... 15 or 20 bucks. I can't remember if they've upped the price. I think they have. I'll I'll, I'll pay 15 or 20 bucks to watch uh, Ultimate Warrior um, hold Goldust's coat for him. Yeah, absolutely. Please, take my money. (laughs) Utterly disastrous. And yes, Goldust was injured. So... Okay, why not? I've got to do a thing on the mic saying, yes, I'm injured. I'll get you one day, Warrior, but now here's my bodyguard. And then he can squash, uh, Massina, whatever his name is in there, the bodyguard. He can, Warrior can do that for 30, 40 seconds, like a honky tonk man, SummerSlam, like 88 kind of thing. Instead, we got whatever this was. Just think, just think about this. Somebody actually thought that this was a good idea. And somebody else, at least one other person, agreed with that person that this was a good idea. If that doesn't make you fear for the future of humanity, I don't know what I don't know what won. This was absolutely repugnantly awful. It was one of those hey, you don't like that wrestling stuff, do you? kind of things. I'd be, I'd wear a, a very long overcoat and wouldn't show my face in public if I admitted I was watching this match again. It was repulsive. <laughs> Yeah, don't honour this. Don't honour this by calling this a match. Well, that was that was kind of my overriding thought was that I actually wasn't that angry at it, just in the sense that it was, it it, it was just a segment. It wasn't really a match. Like there was there the, the Goldust should have been counted out. He wasn't at that point. The match stopped. The match finished at that stage. 
Um, but no, by the by the letter of the rule, we have a we have a contender along with DDP and the Booty Man for the worst match of the year. Uh, those those two will be in the nominations. I would be very surprised if they're not. It will be quite horrifying if they're not. Um, <laughs> cut, come the uh, come the end of the year, yeah. Um, Dan's right. This should have just been a Goldust squash. Uh, sorry, a Warrior squash. Goldust shouldn't have been uh, as a perform on a five match show. Like you know, we've seen. We've seen WCW do this before, um, you know, where they've got nine matches on a card, they've got a guy who's not fit to perform, send them out there, kill time for a few minutes, end it, we'll move on, people forget about it. On a five-match show, this was match number two. I wouldn't have done that. Um, I would have moved it around, I would have, you know, it's, this show wasn't that long, I imagine they could have got ten minutes more out of the pay-per-view provider, you know, let Warrior win a three-minute squash and bump Bad and, and Mero up to the main card. Um, that would have been, yeah, one we would have got Johnny Bad and Mark Marrow on the main card, which I, I think those two would have been more motivated had it been on pay-per-view. Um, and two, like, Dan, you're completely right. The, the crowd, like, to the extent, I don't really think the crowd care if Warriors in a program or not. They're just happy to see him. Okay, if it, 12 months down the line, that might have worn off if he's still around doing it at this kind of frequency. They just want to see Warrior. Get in, let Warrior do his greatest hit stuff. Ends the match, that's it. Move on. Maybe do an angle after the match. But we, as much as I say it wasn't really a match, it was a match. For Bell to Bell, it was seven minutes, and it was fucking shite. Anyway, we go backstage. Doc Hendricks is stood away from Bulldog and Owen. Bulldog tries to get Sean into Shawn Michaels' dressing room. Hendricks says it's something to do with his wife. We'll fill in those details on the Raw show after this. Vader with Jim Cornette against Razor Ramon is up next. They lock up. Vader wins a battle and sends Razor flying over the top rope. This is Razor's first appearance, I think, since mid-February, by the way. Uh, Vader wins another test of strength and flexes. Vader hits some stiff body shots and a headbutt. Some more shots and the fans start rallying behind Razor. Razor signals for the Razor's edge but gets sent flying over the top. Razor jumps back in the ring and hits a series of rights, knocking Vader down in the corner. Ramon floors him a couple of times while sending him tumbling to the outside. The ref starts the count. Vader breaks it before 10 but returns to the outside. Cornette distracts Razor in an attempt to give Vader a way in, but Razor sees it coming. Vader hits a standing splash for a two. He gets Razor in the corner and starts striking. Razor responds nicely with a belly-to-back suplex for a two. Vader drops Razor in the corner, then shoots her available and hits it, but only gets a two. Vader hits a belly-to-back of his own. Vader shoots for a suplex, but Vader, uh, Razor counters it into one of his own. Vader goes to the second rope, jumps off, but Razor counters it into a nice slam. Vader runs to a big boot. Razor hits a bulldog from the second rope. Vader runs up on the second rope. Razor sets to the Razor's edge, but cannot hold the weight. Vader goes to the top, but Razor follows him and hits an impressive electric chair drop. Both men are down in the ring. Vader reverses the Razor's edge shut up into a backdrop, then just sits on Razor, and that's enough for the win. Rory. If you overlook the fact that uh, Razor is leaving, then the way that this match was laid out was frankly bizarre. Other than a few hope spots, and they were big hope spots, don't get me wrong, but a few of those, Vader dominated the entire match. Razor didn't even get a shine at the beginning. We went straight to the heat. And... It became 10 minutes of, is Vader going to hit the Vader bomb? Okay, is he now going to go and hit it again? 
I don't know that I agree with that. I thought Razor, like, I know what you mean. Razor was never in control at any point. But this, what, this, what, this wasn't a 10 minute squash. I, I never got that impression. Razor was always just about in it. Yeah. I wouldn't, I I wouldn't go as far to say squash. That that, that would have been, that really would have been Vince somewhere twirling his moustache. Squash would be wrong, but I still, I still don't think it was as close to even as it should have been. Two years ago, I think this this would have been a real interpromotional dream match. Vader at his marauding heel best against a hot, motivated Razor Ramon. That's that that's, that that is the stuff dreams are made of. That could have been a really excellent upper mid card, possibly even touching main event match at some point. As it was with their both the very different but uh, very important to note positions that they have now was never really going to get into a higher gear. It did have its moments. I mean, Rose's feats of strength were sensational, and I'm glad he did get to show them because they were both extremely impressive. The kicking out of the Vader bomb was a little bit weird. Was that an olive branch? I don't know. But they did make me got a, a, a literally pants finish, which um, I, I don't know what they were going for there. So it did have its moments. It certainly wasn't a washout. It was watchable, but... I say, I wish we could have seen this at some point earlier when, uh, with the roles, with the roles being slightly different. But, uh, on this show, it was almost five stars by comparison. <laughs> Dan. I completely disagree with Roy. I reckon this should have been a five minute squash. Well, not effectively a squash, but a beat down by Vader where he beats up Razor. Razor gets a couple, maybe a couple of hope spots in you know, brief ones, but then Vader takes him out. Maybe even do the whole spot with Yokozuna again, where he Vader bombs the knee of Razor, and then you've got an excuse then to say, oh, Razor's been, you know, he's been active for so long because Vader took him out. And again, you've made him. You've made Vader a star again. Rather than this kind of heat to this match. Maybe because, again, the crowd are still a bit cool on Vader, and Razor's been off TV for two months, so he's lost his his edge. No pun intended. Um, but I just I the match the parts of the match didn't to me fit to a lesser sum. Where there were some nice spots with the chair drop, um, Razor's athleticism, Vader's you know you know snug um, offense. But I think to me kicking out the Vader bomb was criminal for a guy that's not a not been on TV for two months. And B, again, leaving to your rival promotion. I just thought, I thought the booking of this match was completely terrible, if I'm being honest with you. And the action in the ring was okay, but this could have been a real show stealer. And to me, it let, it got, I got let down by this match, in hindsight. Yeah, all a bit odd. Um, I, I did, no, if, if we look at it in a vacuum, I did still, it, it, all, all the things about the same considered, I did still quite enjoy it in the sense that it's the style I quite like, I quite like Vader. Ramon, even when he's phoning it in, is still pretty good. Um, but he was phoning it in, yeah, Vader, you know, I, I guess it's difficult when it, it's, you know, Vader's always got that kind of demeanour that's, you know, fairly standard. The, the, the better Vader matches we remember from WCW were often based on, you know, the antics as opponent, be that, you know, we've had great Vader matches with Sting and with Flair, and that's largely because Vader's been able to play off of them. When it was Ramon kind of not giving a shit, it didn't really work. I, I thought the stuff they did wasn't too bad, but I was, 
very surprised at how even this match was. Rory, I, I, I don't think I agree in that, you know, uh, you, yeah, in terms of maybe how it's laid out, it was a bit more one-sided, but Razor was never that far behind. But I, I, I think the, the, the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll agree with both of you on, I, I, like why why the Vader bomb didn't end the match? I've no idea. Like you know, maybe you don't do it in that particular moment in the match. You move it a bit down down the line. Um, but I I don't know why it it, it it was a very you know it almost looked like an accidental finish. Vader counters a move and then just sits on him and Razor can't kick out. You know that's the kind of cheap finish we'd expect from a company that are looking to set up a rematch. But obviously they're not. Um. But Rory, um Just a question, Bob. Has, oh. Sorry. Has, has Vader done the moonsault yet in, in WWF? Uh, yes, he did it on, uh, he did it on Raw. Cause I, in my, let me pull up my TV notes. Um people have already heard this by now. Uh, it was, it was either before or after. Let me find this. Cause I remember, um yeah, April 22nd, it was the week of this show. Uh, Vader defeated, uh, Fatu with the Vader Salt. Vince McMahon claims, we've never seen that before in the WWF. Forgetting not only that Bam Bam Bigelow has done a moonsault on WWF television, Vince has even commented on it before saying, you won't see that anywhere else when Bam Bam did it in relation to Vader doing it on WCW TV. So yeah, the, the six days before this show, Vader did do a moonsault. I just think, again, if you're gonna, let Razor kick out the Vader bomb. I would, I would have Vader insist, okay, I get to do the moonsault then, because that's one of my two big moves. It's, it's better than fucking sitting on him. I mean, come on. You get this guy's finisher over. You know, that's basic booking 101. And if he's going to kick out of one of them, I'm going to use the other. Yeah, I don't know that Vader is all that keen on making the moonsault his go-to move. I think one, for the sake of his body, he shouldn't be that all that frequently. Or two, I think for the for the sake of not just running it into the ground and losing all of its kind of not novelty value, but losing all of its speciality, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it that frequently. I would have just had the the, the Vader bomb finish the match. Um, it's it, it's his it's his go-to finisher. You know, it's it finished off Yokozuna two weeks earlier. Um, and yeah, Rory, I mean, uh, my, my follow-up question on this match was, were you surprised at how even it was? Rory, I guess you disagree, but we'll, we'll bundle this in with the diesel thing, um, and assume you don't think that was, was as one-sided either. Were you surprised on this show as a whole that, that Razor and Diesel, two guys that as we understand it will not be appearing at the pay-per-view next month, uh, in their final match, both look so good? Um. I'm surprised they did, they did look as good as they did. What was, again, I still don't think it should have been, well, it should have been absolutely squashed. I still think it would have got a little bit more, but he, he wasn't squashed, so he, he did get something, I admit. And yeah, I suppose so. But I, I guess, looking at it from the other way, it's like I always try to say, try to look at it from as if wrestling was a, was a legitimate sporting event. And a razor moment diesel are, in literal terms, they're big guys. They're going to be in matches. Making them look particularly weak doesn't really make much sense from a in a in a vacuum from a cavefabe. This is a sport kind of a perspective. Having said that, though, especially the, I'll touch 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 briefly. I'll talk about it in a bit. But uh, the main event, I mean, Diesel was was able to look like an absolute monster in in that particular match, and that did surprise me a bit. But if we try and take off our smart glasses, maybe it does make sense. So maybe we can give them that. Dan? Um, Razor, I was very surprised that. 
as I've touched on earlier, he's been off TV for two months. They've not drawn any attention to him. And again, going pretty evenly with Vader was very surprising. Diesel less so because he's been so hot the last three months, you know, with Brett, then The Undertaker, and then obviously with Sean, that it has Sean just gone completely over him and just made him look like a chump. Fans would then get kind of, I think, quite annoyed with the company going, hang on, you built up this guy for three months and he's been so entertaining and such a presence. Why has he now been completely walloped by this six-foot pipsqueak? Um, and I think that would have been probably a bit kind of bit too hard to believe, taking off our kind of like, uh, our, again, as Roy said, our smart um, hats on. Um, so, yeah, I think... Diesel not that surprising, but Razor was very surprising. Yeah, I, I think it's it, it's a trade off between you know they've got to you know these guys are on the way out. You don't want to make them look that strong, but equally you've still got a pay per view to put on. You still got people paying fifteen to twenty bucks. You've just shown them that shower of shit before. You've got to give them something. Um, you know, and it's not like if Razor and Diesel weren't on this show, it's not that they had guys of similar ability and star power they could plug in. You still got to do your matches, and I think in in Vince McMahon's mind, it's more about the result on the finish than it is about the match, and he will look at it as Vader beat Razor Ramon cleanly, Sean beat Diesel cleanly. That was how it looked. They had time to fill. I agree with you, Dan. I think in the sense that one, it was the main event. Diesel kind of, you know, you couldn't have a Sean squash Diesel. Um, if if they had, you know, Johnny be bad. Sorry, if they had Mark Merrow and the One Two Three Kid on earlier in the show. You will uh, stop calling him Johnny B. Bad eventually. It'll take me a couple of months, but I'll get there. <laughs> uh, if they had Mark Marrow and the One Two Three Kid on there in the show, maybe they could have squashed this match a bit and made it a bit more one-sided. But when you look at like, if this had been a bad like three or four-minute match that was all one-sided, not particularly interesting, this would have been a shit show barring the main event. This match really helped the show, even though it didn't make a lot of sense anyway. Uh, we move on. Doc Hendricks comes out after the match. He says, Gorilla Monsoon has chosen Vader's opponent for next month in your house eight. It will be Yokozuna. He's got six weeks at Fat Camp then. We'll see how uh, how that comes off. You can buy a Shawn Michaels, Warrior or Undertaker polo shirt and hat package for just $39.95 plus postage and packaging. Save your money, folks. Right. Next up, the Body Donners skip and zip with Sonny versus the Godwins, the Phineas I and Henry O with Hillbilly Jim for the tag team titles. Henry gets fired into the corner but levels both Body Donners on the way out. Skip runs hard into a Henry shoulder. He catches him and hits a nice farm and carry slam. He then picks him up by the legs and flips him over 270 degrees. That was nice. Phineas does a double slap but then gets sent tumbling to the outside when Skip pulls the top rope down. The Body Donners hit a nice double slingshot suplex. The cameraman seems to be more worried about Sonny mind. Phineas rallies, fighting off both men. Sonny returns to the ring with a framed photo of herself, which distracts Phineas. With the ref distracted, the Body Donners swap places, and Zip hits a small package. We then get a close photo up after the match, and it says, To PIG, with all my love, hugs, and then it kind of cuts off. Uh, Dan, what do you think of this? See, this is why... Owen Hart and the British Bulldogs are the outstanding team in the division. Because this is so unbelievably average that it's almost baffling to see how far the tag division is behind WCW and ECW and the WWF. 
I mean, Phineas is just so bad. He's so rubbish in the ring. He's, nothing he does looks powerful for a six foot eleven guy. Nothing he does looks is he that six big. Six eleven? I don't know. I don't know how tall. He's, don't a, know he's how tall. a fat guy. I don't think he's that tall. I don't know. I can't. I don't have the figures to hand. I was trying to. I was trying to think off the top of my head how tall he was, but he is really bad. Henry Godwin's not. He's okay. He did a nice wheelbarrow drop. Um, the only really interesting thing in this match to me was Mike Kyoda calling out the Body Donners for Twin Magic when they just basically just gave up on tagging. And then again, I might be reading this very, very, very much too much. But I thought the Twin Magic was quite good because I couldn't see how Mike Kyoda could mix them up after calling them out on just not tagging early in the match. So I thought that was not too bad. But again, I put much more forward that than the booking team did um, because this match was really, really, really dull to watch. Roy? Godwin matches. Stamping on the human face forever. (laughs) They're just terrible. I say Henry's okay. Phineas is is a, is disastrously bad in the ring. I mean, and every time he does that stupid flurry of punches, followed by that ridiculous, I think it's supposed to be a mule kick thing. I just think, mate, you just look like an utter pranic. Stop it. <laughs> but that was still one of the more interesting parts of this match. I mean, the body donors are a good and a passable worker with a a silly gimmick who just happened to be the tag team champs, and we. I wouldn't say I was going to predict the finish, that would be a lie, but I knew we were going to get some kind of shenanigan base. I knew we were going to get some sort of Godwin visual pin, because that's the only way the WWF really know how to book face the heel tag team matches these days. And we got the old switcheroo. You know what, uh, skip or zip. They don't, yes, blonde, they don't look that much alike, you know, but I'll, I'll let that one slide in, in, in as I'm feeling for some reason, I'm feeling quite generous. But I've got very little to say about this. I think the tag team, the whole tag team division at the moment only really exists to get Sonny over. And everybody else is just incidental. And this match was incidental at best. Is Sonny getting over with this? Like, well, that, is it dragging that, her down? It, 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 in, in fairness, it probably is. I mean, I would want to be associated with these scrubs in any way, shape or form. Um, but I do, I do think the intention is to get her over, even if the execution is probably not, uh, probably not conducive to that. Yeah, they had the idea when they were going to put her with Hunter herself. I don't particularly know what happened with that. I, I would still go in that direction. Um, I probably objected to this match as much as I did the Gold Dust Warrior match. I mean, it wasn't as bad, but like I, uh, at least Warrior's over and he's interesting enough. Like this is just so dull. The reaction is like so decidedly mediocre. Like it's it's not it's not awful. They're 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 all all right. Um, but you know Tom Pritchard's hair didn't die for this. You know what I mean? He didn't <laughs> he he didn't bleach his hair for this. Um, it, it wasn't worth it. It was just so bad. And yeah, I mean that was the thing. Six or seven months ago, we we talked about you know I don't know whether we talked about it, but we would have been talking about the tag you know division in, in both WWF and WCW. Um, it, WCW have got so far in front in that tie, acquiring the Public Enemy, bringing the Steiners in, the the Road Warriors are in there as well. All of a sudden, they've got six or seven really interesting tag teams. WWF have got nothing. 
And you've got to ECW and they've got a few. Okay, I don't think we're going to see the gangsters on WWF television anytime soon. That'll be something different. <laughs> um, but like, you know, there's, I'd almost rather not have tag teams if this is it. Like, this isn't, this isn't fun. This is just four really like boring and average acts. Tom Pritchard deserves more. You, and you, you really think, look, I know the heavenly bodies are, are, are an atypical Vince McMahon act. When they were there, you always got the feeling Vince put them on, you know, kind of through gritted teeth. They were better than this. Anyway. Um, they're on to the In Your House card for next month. We're going to get Vader against Yokozuna, Mark Merrow versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and Vega versus Steve Austin. We get a promo with Merrow and Sable. Merrow is quite difficult to hear, but this is generic stuff. We see clips from the, uh, from the free-for-all uh, in the show with Merrow trying and failing to fight Helmsley and the kid off. It finishes with Helmsley pedigreeing him. They get a very nice video package ahead of Sean versus Diesel. They say Diesel struggled last year to, due to the quote-unquote burden of leadership. Uh, I would I would say, given that we've done Sean and Diesel before, as much as there is a year's more worth of, uh, of, of, of story to put into this video package, this was the video package we needed 12 months ago at WrestleMania. I will say that. We move on to the main event. It's Diesel versus Shawn Michaels with Jose Lothario for the WWF Championship in a no holes barred match. Diesel chucks his jacket at Vince. We see Mad Dog for Sean at ringside. We start a frantic pace. Sean attacks him right out of the gate. Uh, Diesel levels Sean with a right. Sean recovers and kicks Diesel off over the top to the outside. Sean goes to the top and hits a moonsault to Diesel on the outside. He actually grabs the group boot off one of the Spanish announcers, comes off the top in the ring and hits Diesel with it. Diesel fires Sean into the corner. Sean does the flare flip over the buckle. Diesel then hits Sean, who crashes into the guardrail. Diesel hits a clothesline in the ring, and there's another ring of boos around the arena. Diesel chokes the ref and sends it to the map before taking the ref's belt and starts whipping Sean with it before choking him. Diesel throws Sean, uh, Diesel throws Sean over the top. Sean almost ends up hanging solely by the belt. Diesel ties the belt to the rope and Sean is stuck. That looks brutal. Sean did so well with that. Uh, Diesel whips Howard Finkel out of his chair and hits Sean over the back with it. Diesel goes for another chair shot as Sean gets to his feet. Sean moves. Diesel swings the chair so hard that it bounces off the ropes and hits him in the face. Sean goes for a chair shot of his own, but Diesel low blows him. Sean rallies out of a rest hole, but Diesel keeps the upper hand. Diesel punches Sean uh, uh, under the top rope to the outside. Diesel picks up Sean and jackknife powerbombs him through Vincent King's announce table. This is a great spot. We get a gasp of silence from the crowd, made all the better by Sean being submerged in monitors. Diesel tries for the WWF title on for size. Vince says, away from his mic, let it be over, as Sean drunkenly staggers to his feet. Sean gets near the ropes on the outside. He then lifts up a fire extinguisher and deploys it in Diesel's eyes for rallying. Sean recovered very quickly from all of this. Sean grabs the chair from the outside and seems to take Lawless' headset with it as he gets into the ring and hits Diesel with it. Sean runs into a very nice big boot by Diesel. Diesel goes for a jackknife, but Sean sits down on it, then hits a lovely top rope elbow drop. Who cares about selling after all, eh? Sean lines up the sweet chin music. Diesel catches the left and hits a lovely falling clothesline. Diesel drops to the floor and grabs hold of Mad Dog for Sean, and then takes off his prosthetic leg. Diesel shapes to hit Sean with the leg. Sean low blows him. Sean hits a switching music super kick with the fake leg, then sets for the real one and hits it. The camera almost misses it, but Sean doesn't. It's also worth saying that as Sean was kind of standing in the corner and kicking, the crowd really were clapping along with his kicks on the ground. Sean wins the match and looks 
fucked off about something. I'm really not quite sure what, but it, it's something to do with Hulk Hogan because he, he hulked up at one point and said something about well, go go where the big boys play, something like that. Sean does, stares down the camera and briefly does the Hulk Hogan pose as we go off the air. Rory. Stunning. This was magnificent. They, as the saying goes, they left it all in the ring, these two. And I think there's a case to be made. In fact, I think it's almost certain that this is Kevin Nash Diesel's, his finest ever performance in a WWF ring. Perhaps even more so than the excellent match he had with Brett at Survivor Series 95. He was, maybe it's because he is D-Mob happy, I don't know, but he was so motivated in this match. He was putting so much behind everything. I mean, even a move like a sidewalk slam. I thought, yes, that you're really actually doing it here, mate. I mean, wh- where were you six months ago, you know? And the spots they were coming up with, I mean, they were brutal. Don't get me wrong, they were brutal. But the thing I absolutely loved about them, they weren't just standard ECW, let's hit each other with cool stuff for 20 minutes. There was real meaning to them. Early on in the match, Sean grabs uh, Hugo Savinovich's boot. Where do you go from there? It <laughs> logically builds, an odd phrase to use, but it's true. Diesel's going to take somebody's prosthetic lug off. Yes, it's, it probably does seem a little bit goofy when spoken like that, but it made sense in the context of the match. Now, Sean's using a chair that's got Jerry Lawler's headset wrapped around it because that's all he can find to use at the time. It felt really, really believable. These two would just use anything they could get their hands on, even if it didn't seem like the, what kind of weapon you would want to use, because they're both so hell-bent on, on, I'm going to say hell-bent on hurting each other. And for Sean, for allowing himself to be what looked for all the world, be legitimately choked, in which he was tossed over the top rope with, with real tape held around his neck. It was, it, was, it was a belt, it wasn't tape. It was, belt, yeah, was, uh, was, uh, yes, absolutely. It, it looked like tape, it was it's so firmly around his neck. I was like, wow, this all the fair play in the world. This was captivating stuff. I will just come up with one caveat. You mentioned it in your in your uh, your right up there, Bob. I mean, Sean sold the power bomb through the table itself brilliantly. The actual power bomb itself. You know, he far away look in his eyes, thrashing around. It was as if he was it, it, just about escaped from a burning building or something. That was fantastic. I didn't like 30 seconds later he gets back in the ring and he's up and jiving without even holding his back. I didn't like that. And that's my one Shawn Michaels flaw. And I say that to somebody who's a fully paid up click member. Uh, I can look past that because what the two actually did to each other in, that, in the name of our entertainment for a company that do not normally do anything remotely close to this sort of thing, I thought was a... I'm just uh, so so positive about this match. It's a massive testament to them and what they did out there. And I absolutely loved it. As I said earlier, it's needed to be a great main event. And boy, was it ever. Dan? Yeah, I agree. I thought this was both men's shining moments in their WWF careers. Um, Rory's always he's talked about Diesel already, because um, this was... Just by far and away his most amazing in-ring performance and character performance because he was in ultra heel mode in this one. He wasn't just you know being 
all the bad guy, all booming, you know, being. You, you can't a, get much more of a heel than going into the crowd and whipping off someone's leg. Yeah. That, <laughs> there, 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 aren't, there aren't many levels you can go beyond that. Sorry, Dan, carry on. I was going to say the crowd, you know, there were a couple of let's go diesel chants, you know, ringing out for the arena throughout the match. And then as soon as he shakes off his leg, everyone in Gotos goes, whoa, whoa, you're going too far there, pal. You know, this is going a bit too much. Um, and even you know, strangling Hebner with the belt. You know, we talked about him, you know, almost hanging Michaels with it. But he also strangled Hebner. You know, <laughs> come on. Goodness sake. Um, but also about Shawn Michaels. The ladder match with, with um, Razor is better as a match, in my opinion, in terms of just historical importance and the actual action itself. But in terms of a character performance, the one criticism I've had with, with Shawn Michaels over the year has been, in promos, he's always gone, this is the most toughest match of my career. I've got to pull out all the stops to win this match. And it comes out every single time and he's dancing around, he's high-fiving, he's juking and jiving, he's shaking his behind as if he hasn't got a care in the world and this is just another day at the races for him. This one, he comes out with a face like thunder and an expression that says, I am going to kick your ass. This is going to be hell for me, but I'm going to still win. And instantly I'm believing that he is a champion. He is the face of this company and he takes this seriously. And I'm thinking... Yes, this is going to be a big fight, and I'm psyched up for it. And although we can talk about him selling it, this is Shawn Michaels. I mean, this is, you know, his style does not lend itself to being selling a back injury for the rest of the the, um, the match. So I can kind of let that one slide a bit. Um, and also, also post-match, him looking genuinely angry. I I bought that he was angry at Diesel for the leg, and I bought that he was angry at him for leaving to... WCW, again, brilliant action, brilliant character work from both guys and match of the year so far for me. There have probably been better WWF matches that we've covered since we started this. I don't know that I've enjoyed one more. Um, This was a hell of a lot of fun. And there was a lot of, I don't want to call them shortcuts, but there were a lot of set pieces in this match, you know, the, the spot through the table, the bit with the prosthetic leg, the bit with the, uh, the belts, and you expect that from a, from, from a no holds bars match. But I think that one of the things I most enjoyed was just the fluidity of the stuff in the middle. And the bit where Sean goes for the super kick, Diesel catches the leg and then just hits this lovely falling clothesline. That was so smooth. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the bit where, Diesel does the power bomb, and Sean just gets submerged in monitors. Actually, the, the one that hit him on the chest looked like it hurt. Vince cleared that pretty quickly, and it nearly landed on his bollocks. And I'm glad it didn't, because that would have that would have hurt even more. That was a really good moment in the match. I just wish he'd have solved it a bit more. Like, I, you know, he kind of he took a little bit of time and got up. He fumbled around on by the apron, got the, the fire extinguisher in place. I would have had him deploy the fire extinguisher and then I'd have had that as the great leveller for the next minute, minute and a half. Diesel's trying to get his eyesight back in order. Sean's still selling the table spot and then build it slowly from there. I thought it went a bit quickly from there on out, but the match was so good. Um, Roy, is there anything to be said that... I mean, If Sean's putting on matches that are these good... This good, does it matter if he's not selling properly? He's got the absolute total all-round game 
that it probably doesn't massively matter, but it happens just often enough for, for it to to nag at me slightly anyway from a personal perspective. Ah. When you when you get when you get Shawn Michaels in the ring, you are going to be treated to something very 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 special when he's given the time to do it. He is going to steal the show because he's just such a phenomenal performer. I, I feel, I mean, I, I, I almost feel churlish of picking him up on anything because he is he is an absolute sensation and fully fully deserves to be WWF champion. Adman, I hope he's champion for a good while yet. But for me, call, call me old school if you like. Yes, it does bother me because it would probably add just an extra layer of sympathy to his character. I do think he needs that. If he can get the balance of a slight jerky edge, which matches like this will help him attain even further, by the way, and manage to accrue a bit more sympathy from the audience at times, then he's almost a, a 100 out of 100, as opposed to the mere... 97 he is now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think it matters majorly, but it is where it is. Um, and Dan, after the match, uh, again, I, 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 I've, I, I've tried to read that big bat, read his lips. I didn't catch a lot of it. The talk show, he said something about, yeah, go on, go off where the big boys play. Um, I don't, like, I don't know that sh- this angry side of Sean is really helping his babyface character rule that much because surely after coming through such a great match in storyline at least in character he should be really happy thrilled he should be similar to how he was after wrestlemania i don't know how it comes across to casual fans if sean wins the match and just looks pissed off i i I think that's i think that's sean michaels the person shining through above and beyond his character but i don't know it's a great look dan what do you think um i i kind of disagree a wee bit because as we said before, this has been, you know, quite heated rivalry for almost 18 months with the, with the breakup of the guys, you know, in, in, in 94, all the way through 95 now and today. So I can kind of accept it here because it's just a, I just beat you. You're my friend. What a scumbag you were during this match for taking this bloke's leg in kayfabe terms. Um, and you're apparently going to leave us in the dry. So yeah, I, I have a right to be annoyed. But we've discussed this earlier with Shawn Michaels' um, behaviour backstage um, and the apparent um, phrases he said to Earl Hebner about Bret Hart at WrestleMania. If this does keep happening in feuds that don't really justify it in the way that this one did, then yeah, it is a big problem. Because if, you know, if definitely the guys, you know, the little, the click members, as it were, if they begin to see this side of Shawn Michaels week in and week out, then they're, they're going to turn away from him because no one likes to see, you know, a, not an angry baby face and a, I want to get your ass, you know, you, you're beating me up, I want to kick your ass back in a, you know, pissed off in general, in life in general sort of way. It's going to turn people off, you know, that's the way it is and, Sean's got to be careful that he doesn't um, air these real emotions on air um, too much in the near future. Otherwise, it's going to backfire on him. 
Yeah, uh, Petrance we saw at SummerSlam last year from, from the bit where they were trying to hang the belt up in the right spot and he was getting pissed off that, that wasn't right to the to to him fluffing the finish and then having to redo it. I think he fluffed it twice from what I can recall. Um, and and him getting more and more angry. I mean, I I don't know that that many people are going to notice. I just think if it starts happening every month, it's not a great look. And as much as what we're going to come on to after this. Um, is more of a deliberate storyline choice. You start combining that side of Sean's character with that side of Sean Michaels' own personality, it starts to become less of a babyface I think people are going to latch on to. Fortunately, a lot of them already have. I would just keep that in check. Anyway, Rory, your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. Um absolutely saved the show did the main event and anybody who hasn't seen it you've got to go and seek it out you you just don't see things like this in the WWF and this particular main event could well end up being a corner turner for them in the future they should do this every single month but um, they show that you can go hardcore and you can make it work if you really think about it <clears throat> so the importance of that match it also goes uh, some way to explaining my score Taking the other rest of the pay-per-view into account, <laughs> unfortunately, not good at all. So one one decent match and three for various reasons, which were pretty rubbish. So for almost solely for the quality and the importance of the main event, I'm going to give this a four. But even there, I think I'm being a mite generous. But you must, must, must watch the main event. Dan? Um, again, as we always said, this match is uh, essential viewing. This is just superb. In terms of a wrestling character entertainment perspective, it is fantastic. And everyone should go and watch this match. I initially had this show scored a bit higher, but after talking it through about the Warrior Goldust, the Vader Razor booking, and the Godwin's Body Donners match, I'm downgrading it, but to a six, because again, that main event was, was brilliant, and I don't think, I think it's, it's unfair to, to take this show down too much because of the quality of the undercard. Because, again, that match is so good. And because it is a two-hour show. If this was a three-hour show, it might be a bit more harsh. But because it's two hours and that main event was so good, I'm going to go for a six out of ten. Yeah, I'm with Rory on a four. Um it's it, yeah we uh, it, it's funny you say it done the, the amount of people that kind of the amount I've not we've not had many occasions where talking through a show has made it better in people's eyes. Every, a lot of time people will go, well, I thought it was all right. Now we've done like an hour on it on the podcast. I've gone down. Very few people say we've done it on podcasts and I'm more positive on it. That's, that's an interesting kind of thing. But yeah, it's a one match show. Um, the one match is really good. The rest of it's just dire though, really. I mean, Vader and Razor's all right, but Razor going through the motions almost isn't worth watching, which is, which is a shame because Vader, Vader and Razor, as we said, Vader and Razor on another night could have been fantastic if the circumstances were different. Um, just not enough motivation. The rest of the show is, is, is pretty much a waste of time. It's all about one match. Um, the one match is great, but everything else drags the whole thing down. Skip the first hour and 15 minutes and, and watch the main event. Raw opens on April the 29th with Mankind submitting Bart Gunn after a physical match. Gunn is backstage after the match being interviewed and Mankind attacks him and puts him out again with the hold. 
Savio Vega challenges Stone Cold Steve Austin to a Caribbean strap match for In Your House next month. He's out on commentary for Austin's match against Scott Taylor. Austin makes light work of Taylor with a million dollar submission. Vega then makes the challenge formal on the microphone. Ted DiBiase dismisses the challenge, so Vega blindsides Austin and whips him with a strap. We get an in-ring segment with Shawn Michaels, Jose Lothario, Vince McMahon, Jim Cornette, the British Bulldog and Diana Smith. Michaels puts over his ability to adapt to any style, following Brett with Diesel. Cornette says that Michaels tried to sleep with Diana. He says that during the pay-per-view opener last night, a WWF production official got to Diana at ringside to go backstage under the premise that Cornette was hurt. Instead, when she got backstage, that she found Shawn. Cornette says Shawn propositioned Diana, then calls him a sexual deviant. A pervert. Cornette is on an absolute roll here. He ends by calling Sean a fornicator. Diana then says, Sean, I know that you want me. Sean then tells him not to flatter herself. This is fantastic. Diana slaps him. Sean says to Bulldog, I guess we know who wears the pants in the Smith family. The pair brawl as we go to commercial. Sonny walks out with the tag titles during the match between the New Rockers and Marty Jannetty and Lee Cassidy against the Godwins. The match ends in a double countout. Jim Ross interviews Mankind. He says there are nerves underneath the tongue and there is no escape from temporary paralysis. The only hope is Mankind's love for humanity and I don't have any. The main event is Isaac Yankum DDS against the Ultimate Warrior. Warrior is very popular here. Lawler cannot decide whether he wants to commentate or be in Yankum's corner, so he kind of does both. Warrior makes very light work of this one. Lawler dismay makes this entire segment. One month ago, everybody said there was no way that the style of the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels would last for 60 minutes against the excellence of execution. So what I did was adapt to his style, and not only did I dance with him for 60 minutes, we danced for 63, and I came out on top. And then, last night, everyone said that there is no way that the heartbreak kid and his style could hold up to Big Daddy Cool in a no-holds-barred match. Now, don't get me wrong. I know I took an ass-kicking, but I gave one right back. Man, I'm sick of the click. Whether you want to dance, if you want to waltz, you want a jitterbug, you want a twist, the Heartbreak Kid can adapt to any style. And myself and my click are ready for the best that the World Wrestling Federation has to offer. What about it, Clint? Clint makes me sick. Yes, the challenges keep right on coming. And that was... I've been really enjoying this. Let's get down to business. Let's get down to brass tacks. Last night was a great victory in the ring, but I want to talk about what happened outside the ring. Here we go. I want to talk about what you did, you stinking pervert, yeah. when you tried to sleep with this man's wife. Woohoo! There it is. You heard it, folks. Now, wait That's a minute. What proof do you have of this outlandish allegation? It's true. Last night, during the British Bulldogs match, Diana Smith was seated at ringside. As a matter of fact, if you look at this videotape, it's hard to see, but look at that circle. Diana Smith got a message from one of the production assistants that I was in trouble in the I back. See, see the guy and motion? she got up. Look, you can see right behind the referee there. She got up out of ringside right in that white circle. There she and goes. And she went 
to the backstage area. So where, where I wasn't waiting, where Shawn Michaels was waiting. Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. You. Shawn Michaels is preparing for the most grueling match of his life, and and he's and he's talking with Diana. Shawn Michaels brought her back there. Shawn Michaels put his arm around her, steered her into a dark corner, and propositioned her. Yeah, that's exactly what he did. Yeah, he was giving new meaning to the rising of the occasion word. Everybody know. Hey, look at me, punk. I'm talking to you. I'll sue you. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Tell him. Everybody knows that you think you're God's gift to women. Yeah. Everybody knows that you think you're the heartbreak kid. Well, I want to know something. I want to know what kind of stinking animal, while he had a main event, title match, on pay-per-view, would be in a back, in a dark corner, cozying up to somebody else's woman. I want to know what, what kind of sexual deviant would think of causing somebody to break their matrimonial bonds. I want to know what kind of pervert would grab a woman, an innocent woman like this, who has never done anything out of the way in her life. And I want to know how you would try to corrupt her and sully her and desecrate her. She's not a Jezebel. She is not a scarlet woman. But you, sir, are a sleazebag, Diana. <laughs> Tell him, Cornette. I want you... Now, Shawn Michaels, I want you to face your accuser. I want you to look into the eyes of the woman that you tried to deflower. I want you to look into the eyes of the woman that you tried to sully and ruin. And Diana, I want you to look into the eyes of this beast, this sexual deviant. I want you to look into the eyes of the man who tried to lay his hands on your most private parts. And I say, Shawn Michaels, you, sir... You, sir, are a fornicator. What? I can't believe any of this. Believe it, McMahon. Diane, do you have anything to say? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Sean, I know that you want me. What? He does. He wants every woman. Go after a snake if it had a skirt on. Mrs. Smith, with all due respect. Oh, that's about as sincere as flowers from Bard shot. Please do not flatter yourself. Oh, uh oh. Uh oh. He's trying to get off the hook now. No, no. All right, King, take it away. What? Well, I guess we know who wears the pants in the Smith family. And we come back with one final thing to discuss this month, namely the segment that you would have heard and would have heard me recap in the TV notes, uh, involving Shawn Michaels, uh, British Bulldog, Diana Smith, Cornette, etc., etc. Um, Roy, we've seen, we've spoken about the elements of Shawn Michaels' own personality creeping into Shawn Michaels, the character. Um, it seems like they're doing it now with the storyline too, but for what it's worth, this was one of the best segments they've done on Raw in a long time. Absolutely stunning segment. And I'm glad that Cornette was the person making the uh, accusations. I think if it had been almost anybody else on the roster, or especially, God forbid, Bulldog himself, 
I would have thought, no, I don't believe a word of this. This is just a, an attempt just to give Shawn Michaels a, another angle, this champ. But with Cornette, who is a, a, a true, absolute deity, in my opinion, on the microphone, I was watching this and thinking, hey, hang on, where's, where's he going with this? Is he saying that, you know, Shawn Michaels, you know, WWF champion, might, you know, he's a, uh, did, did he just call him a sexual deviant? I mean, where is this going? This is, this is amazing stuff. As always, it's always in the follow-up. A great beginning, but we need to know where they're going to go with it before I can fully give my true opinions on it. But it's a, a startling start. And again, much like the uh, the uh, the main events of the pay-per-view, this is a place where the WWF don't normally go. And it might not be entirely successful. We'll have to wait and see. But they're going to different places. And they've got me very... Very interested. Let's see where this goes, because it's a bold, bold, bold move. And I've got to give them credit for that already. If they can keep this rolling, they might have something on their hands here. Let's see where it goes. A fascinating start. Yeah, hard to disagree with any of that, really, Rory. Um, in terms of, you know, it, it, we've seen a lot from Sean in terms of what we've read about him, but it, it's not anything that's ever... Um, Maybe it has massively kind of come into his character. And I guess there was, there was always the joke when Sean Hyde Diesel back, you know, two, three years ago, when it was like, it wasn't a case of, um, seeing, you know, it wasn't a case of having diesel protection short, uh, the fans from Sean. It was having diesel protecting, uh, sorry, it was having diesel protecting the fans from Sean, not the other way around. So they've mentioned that before, um, but not in a, not in a way that's massively different or anything like that. But no, I thought this was an incredibly strong segment. Cornette, nobody else could have carried this segment, I don't think. Um, Cornette was the perfect guy. I don't think anyone else in that situation could have done. Bulldog was not a good enough promo. Um, I like Diana's delivery, but she's good in short bursts. Um, and credit to them both. As much as Cornette like, rattled off this machine gun promo... The two best bits of it were Diana saying, Sean, I know you want me, and Sean saying, Diana, don't flatter yourself. I think in a sense that I was watching that segment, and those were almost the two lines I least expected from both of those guys. Uh, Dan, anything more to add on this? Uh, Yeah, I was just saying, like what we said, can you imagine WWF doing this in like the early 90s? Can you imagine Hulk Hogan getting... Um, accused of, you know, effectively adult, adultery, um, by someone like Savage or, um, Sergeant Slaughter. Absolutely not. It was just, it was a really refreshing piece of storytelling. It's a storyline that looks like it's going to be, um, quite long. It's going to carry a lot of, um, time up. So you've also eaten time towards Summer Sam. You've got a great chance to get. It might, might only be one and done. I don't know necessarily that this is a two, three month program, particularly given how they've treated Bulldog since December. I kind of was under the impression that this may have been Sean versus Diesel 2 had they not have had Diesel lean for WCW and they've just filled in a spot. Um, they could, I don't know. I think they could, Jim they Cornette, could do it. The way they, Jim Cornette carries his promos, you know, he can eat, he's got so much material this that, and if this, if he's this entertaining, you know, for two or three weeks, I would want to see this carry on for another couple of months because this is gold. And as I said, you can get Owen involved, you know, in, you know, down the line if this feud, when this feud ends, 
Camp Cornette versus Sean. Um, I just think this is a very refreshing bit of storytelling where you get your, again, getting a personal investment in this storyline with, with the WWF champion, which is something that didn't happen at all in 1995 with when Diesel was the champ, effectively after, until when he went out of opponents after Sean. So that's obviously something that's got to be praised by the WWF. Um, and again, as you, as you said, Jim Cornette is a master on the mic. He made this segment entertaining as hell. And Diana, in short bursts, as you said, is is great. She adds that kind of real world drama that you can kind of kind of miss in the circus that is the. You're you're, you're completely right. There is nothing pro wrestling about Diana Smith. Nothing. <laughs> she she you know she comes across, and I don't mean this negatively. She just comes across as a very ordinary woman. Yeah. And and that's kind of what makes it work because in a in an industry of larger than life characters, she's just very believable, and her delivery is so considered, and yet it, it like it adds a lot to the story because it's just her being her. I, I think like you, we, we joked about it a few months ago when it was Bratton and and, uh, and Davy in December, and kind of saying, look, you know, who's the better promo? We kind of all said Diana. It's kind of because, you know, one, one, she's clearly, you know, not very nervous in terms of when she's on screen, but two, because she's not playing anything. It's just her being her. It comes across very realistically. Carry on, Dan. Yeah, I'll just I'll touch on what you said as well. If this was Sonny, it wouldn't work nearly as well because you just get the sense that Sonny is just this whole kind of like sexual sort of, you know, deviant, you know, just like using these two body honors as a, as a ploy to get to get herself on TV, um, but Diana's just again just a brings in so many great talents in, into the WWF title picture in Cornette, ring work, bulldog combination, and Owen Hart, and again just she brings in a bit of real life drama into it, and we don't know I don't know what sort of relationship Sean's got with the Hart family, um, and with the, you know what again the rumors of his um, Beef with Bret Hart, you know, in in shoot terms, but again, I'm looking forward to this. This looks really interesting from Cornette's point of view, anyway. And if I have to listen to Jim Cornette promos for the next four weeks in this build for the match, fine, I'm t- I'll take that. Yeah, uh, you, you said if this was sunny, based on the reports from Germany, it almost was. Um, but that's for another oh, time. God. Um, we move into 2016. Um. Uh, Rory, this is becoming a depressingly familiar segment now. Uh, I don't want to trivialise it, but but another another death, uh, China in this case, um, someone that you know we talk about twenty years ago wasn't. I don't know that she was even wrestling. She'll come on, on onto the scene next year. Um, Rory, I, I think some of China's legacy has been misappropriated. Some people have called her a a pioneer for women's wrestling. I don't think it's quite like that, but I think in a very different way, we want to talk about significant characters from from the, the Attitude Era and the WWF boom period. She's right in amongst it. Absolutely. She was. I've had, uh, since uh, Sad Passing a, a, a few days ago, um, people who know I'm a wrestling fan who, who, tuned, who themselves tuned out of wrestling long, long ago and might even... Even when they were only, only casual fans, they 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 all knew who China was. I mean, attitude the attitude era here was was massive, and China was a huge star. You could put her at number four or five, 
And considering say how popular Attitude was, you know, being that high up, that is massive. And it's, I'd almost argue that this is bigger than when we lost, uh, certainly when we lost Dusty Rhodes, possibly even more than Roddy Piper. I mean, China was a name for a lot, a lot of people. And I don't want to, I don't want to get into the possible circumstances surrounding her death. That's none of our business and how things unraveled for her over the years. She was a, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just going to say that she was, the thing I remember most about China from in ring is actually her, her baby face runs. Um, especially when, particularly when she won the title at, uh, WrestleMania 17. Because she was somebody who backstage didn't particularly enjoy, um, uh, wrestling other women. She wanted to compete in intergender matches. But I'm always going to remember now, um, the very real looking smile on her face when she beat Ivory for the Women's Championship at WrestleMania 17. Uh, in a event which was packed full of amazing moments. A lot of people talk about it as the greatest pay-per-view of all time. Uh, that was a really genuine and now a really quite poignant and touching one. So I think we should remember moments like that and not dwell on anything that might have happened after that. But a sad, sad loss left us way, way too soon. Yeah, just like Rory said, I mean, it's sad to kind of see how far her star waned um, from... The late 2000 when after Playboy and media appearances after Rock and Austin, she was probably in terms of mainstream knowledge, the most over attitude era character. I would say she's more over than Triple H. She was more over than Mankind, McFoley. Um, again, late 2000. Um, and then we all know what happened with, um, Triple H and the company desperately trying to get rid of her because she was a problem. And that is such a huge shame because when you look at revisionist WWF and WWE history, DX is now Triple H and Shawn Michaels. There's no China in there. And women's wrestling as a whole was brought about because of Trish and Lita. Again, no mention of China, even though she was the first one woman to enter the Royal Rumble. She was the first woman to win a King of the Ring match and compete in the pay-per-view. She's the first woman to win a men's title, regularly compete with men, and again in late 2000, actually hold her own. You know, against guys like Guerrero and Saturn and Benoit and you know, Billy Gunn. She was competent. She could hold her own. And that is, again, such a shame that up until her death, the WWF did not want to do anything to do with her. And that is such a shame considering how much of an impact she has on the Attitude Era um, in terms of two of its biggest um, biggest calling cards in history, DX and the women's division in 2000. Yeah. It's such a shame. For a company that is just starting to get onto the women's sports bandwagon if you like if you want to call it a bandwagon the wave the movement they're calling it a divas revolution even though they're not divas anymore all that china was an oddly progressive character in a company that's 
not known for its progression or its proactiveness. Um, and in part because it would be difficult to book a woman who looked that looked like that in in a group of women that at the time would have looked the way they did any differently. And I, I think the you know the best way around booking China almost wasn't to book her with the women because it, I don't know I don't know how believable it would have been. But I I I don't this is, I don't mean it. It may it may come across as well. I don't mean this to sound disrespectful when I say that I don't think China had a big impact on women's wrestling. I think she had a big impact on wrestling. In the sense that I don't think people's memories of China was the leader of the women's division. I think people's memories of China was just being this great act. I think that transcends anything that involves women's wrestling. And as I say, like, you know, for a company that, you know, thinks they're on the trend of a curve because they're two years behind Ronda Rousey's rise, thinking that women's sports, sports women are finally becoming relevant in 2016. It almost sticks out as bizarre and it's, it's also, you know, people talk about Lucha Underground and then, yeah, what's happening there? Spoiler alerts, you know, with what's going to happen on Lucha Underground in the next year with, if I, if I read it correctly, with a, a woman winning their, uh, winning their major belt. Women fighting men is still a touchy subject. Domestic violence is still a touchy subject. Not that it, not that it should ever not be. Um, but it's still a subject that doesn't mesh well with the idea of men and women's sports. And I think one of the things you can credit her with so well is that at a time where it really shouldn't have done, China wrestling men didn't feel all that out of the ordinary. Sure, she got a lot of notoriety for it, but it didn't feel, she made it feel normal. Um, and yeah, I, I think Dan, you're right. It's a shame what's happened since has happened, and, and all of that. And again, I don't want to make a political statement out of uh, someone tr- dying so tragically young. I mean, you know, Rory, you again, not that we want to compare or say one tragedy is more tragic than the other, but the fact that she was so young, I and mean, we look at Dustin Rose and Roddy Piper, you know, they died, you know, into their sixties, you know, late sixties, that kind of thing. To die at such an age is is incredibly tragic. Not that it's ever not. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, there's some people are pushing her as like this great, you know, pioneer of women's wrestling. I don't think it's that. I think it's just more as this great character. And it's, it's almost quite a surprise that she was there as a female wrestler. And yet WWE women's wrestling never really caught up to that. It's, you know, you, you looked at the kind of impact she had on their product in the late nineties. It's not like they went, right. Okay. We need to start putting through these bigger, more, I don't want to say bigger women, you know, because you can you can overdo just a, a size fetish that Vince McMahon already has of the blokes and not there are many of them available, um, female wrestlers of that size. But I'm almost quite surprised that she she got it to that stage and there was no impetus to go, okay, this worked really well. Let's Let's be at the forefront of this. And it took them so long. So long. They finally got the picture. They finally got a group of women that can can carry their own in the ring, and they're finally pushing them in a way that gives them the ability to showcase that. They've they've had women before that can do this kind of thing. They've just not gone with. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a tragic end to a tale um, of, uh, of of someone that I am quite excited to watch her story because it's one i don't know a ton about i really love all that lot based off you know what i've heard and and bits i've seen but in terms of her rise i think dan you're right dx has become Shawn michaels and triple h and it's become uh the the group invading wcw on a tank that's what dx has become and yet the 
Triple H character doesn't get over without China half as well. And that's, that's an important moment in the story. Dan, any more to add? Yeah, I mean, what you're saying that she just was so, she was charismatic, but not in a, you know, promo sort of way. She just oozed character and personality. I mean, you know, WWF and WCW tried to replicate China a couple of times with, you know, Asia in WCW and it failed miserably because the, the woman um, in the role was just no way up to scratch. WF brought in Nicole Bass, you know, that, you know, from ECW, and again, it didn't work at all. It just shows you how well China carried herself and got that um, character over. And it's such a shame, again, that WWF wrote her out of of history because, she, again, she had played such an important part. Yeah, she did her. You know, half the half the time, people. How many angles, you know, over the Attitude Era that China got involved in was just so so entertaining. You know, the the Kane the Kane and um, Triple H feud, the um, Owen Hart, um, Sergeant Slaughter stuff, all the Eddie Guerrero stuff, Chris Jericho stuff, um, fantastic stuff. I really enjoyed it. Right. And it's going to be a shame to her. Going to miss her. Yeah, she. She got over by being a character. That's that's how she got over in the first place. I remember watching. Uh, I, I think it was a a raw a, a, a tape raw uh, from Germany is when she actually made her TV debut, and she burst out from the crowd and attacked. I think it was I think it was Marlena. She attacked her from behind, and I remember watching at the time. I was still semi markish at that point, age fourteen. I was going. What the hell is going on here? Somebody from the crowd has just just attacked an actual uh, affiliated WWF. I mean, what is going on? And she just got over by beating people up, quite frankly. Is that oversimplistic? Maybe it is, but that gave her that character. And she she wasn't just brought in with, with no fanfare. We had a reason to care about her. And I think that's one of the things... All, you can look back at the Attitude Era now. Was it ultimately good for the business? Maybe in certain areas it wasn't, but everybody had a re, everybody had a motivation. Everybody had a reason to be doing it. Everybody had a proper character, and China carried that character at that point of somebody who was absolute no nonsense, and that got her over. And they say you can't be a great babyface until you've been a great heel. Goes back to the point I was making about that great moment at uh, WrestleMania 17. But yeah, just still just. Desperately, desperately sad, and I just wish that we weren't having this conversation. But at the same time, we're thinking about we, 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 she's left us with a lot of great moments, so we will have that. But just desperately sad, and plenty more to come as we go through the years on this show. Right, a, a slightly downer to end the show, but I'd like to thank firstly Roy McNamara. Thanks, guys. Uh, Roy, you can be found on Twitter. Yep, I'm there. Raw's DM, R-O-R-S-D-M. Excellent. And Dan Welling? Thanks for having me, guys. No problem at all. Dan, you're on Twitter? Uh, at Daniel886. Excellent. It's been a lot of pressure having Dan on. Dan, we, well, technically Tom Martin did 
well, I had met Tom Martin before we had him on the show, but Dan's been a, a very close friend of mine for a good number of years now. So it's uh, quite weird given that almost everyone you hear on the show is people that either I chatted to on Twitter before or people that listened to the show before. Rory came in via that way as well. And I said, you know, if you're a regular to the show and you want to come on and join us, uh, then do get in touch. Dan was more of a case of someone that listened to the show and said, I started watching 96. Can I, can I get in on this? And I was, I, I'm quite happy we've been able to do this because I don't see Dan all that often very more. So it'd be very, very, very good to have Dan on board. Uh, volume two this month, don't see that. A bit of a weird show, no paper to review. Um, so instead we take a very close look at the four nitros of the month. Some interesting stuff in there. Um, ECW volume three, uh, is, uh, I think it's Hardcore Heaven. I think, I haven't really watched that show, let alone Tate. I think it's Hardcore Heaven. Uh, all, all the stuff there on ECW in volume three. Uh, and that'll do that. I have Bob Bamber. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamber. You can find all the information you need on wrestling20yis.com. If you're on iTunes, do leave a rating and a review. Subscribe if you're on there as well. Everything else is on the website. I'll save you all the plugs. We've gone long enough. Uh, this has been volume one of the April 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.